I'm telling you. Don't go get to L.A. and clean it up. I'm coming out there and clean you up, and I mean that. Is this the stupid mother that tails you uptown? There seems to be some mistake. My name is... James is for tombstones, baby. Y'all take this honky out and waste him, now. Waste him? Is that a good thing? Episode 13 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host, Rebecca Andrews. With me are fellow 007 fans Chris Byrne and Dave Bond. Say hi. Hello. Hello. This time, there's a change of personnel as Roger Moore makes his debut as 007 in Live and Let Die. Directed by Guy Hamilton, written by Tom Winkowitz. I'm going to mangle more names here, so watch out. You got that one right. I did. <laughs> Starring Yvette Cotto, Julius Harris, Jeffrey Holder, Gloria Hendry, David Hedison. Clifton James, and introducing Jane Seymour. So what do we reckon to Roger's debut? Uh, I'm going to get Dave start on this one, because uh, he's uh, abnormally started, so I'm going to break with tradition and uh, let Dave go first. I had a lot of fun with this. I, I um... <laughs> The last Legacy review we did was Diamonds Are Forever, obviously, because we're doing them in order. We'll forget the little break we took. And with Diamonds Are Forever, I was sat there thinking, oh my God, Tom, Tom Mankiewicz, what have you written there? Oh God, Sean, you've played that really badly. Oh God, you know, the editor. Oh God, Tom Mankiewicz, you know, so on, all the way through that film. With this film, there are a few points where I go, oh God, Tom again, because there are a few lines I don't like. It's very cringeworthy, this um, movie. There are one or two scenes I am, I think run a bit too long, but that's about it. When I when I think about, I can't believe this is the same director as who did Diamonds. I really can't because. Life but can you believe the same guy did Gold uh, Goldfinger though? No, it's tonally a very different it's film from Goldfinger as well. Completely different. Completely um, it, different. It's tone. I mean, we'll get a little bit into that when we start talking about sort of Rogers casting and all the rest of it. There is a definite attempt to distance from what's come before here, but they've come up with a different spin on the 007 character. And whilst I can see some early precursors to where the series goes with Roger and some things I'm not happy with, it, it's all very restrained here. And, you know, where I expect him to mug and pull a face, he doesn't quite. And, you know, it, I have to say I had a very good time with it, with some caveats. Yeah, I mean, definitely. <laughs> Roger's always been the one that uh, I've, I've always called him, like, the, the fun bond. You know, he's like, he's, he's the one who always, like, all wink and like on um, a bit campy and just like oh, wink, wink. yeah just just start embracing the fun of it uh but when he started off uh he, he he did kind of like try and keep that little bit of edge to him and you know i i think what we'll find with watching roger is that he still kind of maintains that even in the silliest times he still kind of has moments where he kind of turns on like a bit of you know like a little bit of grit a little bit of like sternness he he does but i think at this stage, 
it's in keeping with what's going on around it. Yeah. With some exceptions, there are scenes I'm not that fond of, and we'll get to them. But later in the series, and I'm thinking of something like For Your Eyes Only, when anyone says Roger Moore was a complete clown in the role, somebody will say, somebody somewhere who knows Bond will say, yeah, but what about that bit where he kicked Emil Lock off the cliff in that car? Yeah, it was very dark, And they're absolutely right, but it's tonally completely at odds with almost everything else Roger Moore ever did. Roger Moore wasn't comfortable with it, really didn't want to do it. And um, whilst we don't want to get too much into that film, as I say, brutality and Roger Moore don't quite go together. But what he's got in this film is a bit more balance. No, it brings a real kind of lightness of touch and also um, portrayal to the role as well. Because he's not one, Roger's kind of not one for violence. Like he didn't like, you know, he's quite scared of he's guns. A, he's, a, he's a lover, not a fighter. That's the word, that's the word. Yeah, definitely. That's that's That really sums up Roger's era, I think. Well done, Chris. Good job. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, but he does like. I, I, I do kind of like amuse myself when like Roger gets into the tussle. He's just like, he's it, got some blind remark, you know. <laughs> it it does. It you know he's he's not he's not quite lazenby when it comes to like the fighting. He's very much uh, quite. He's not quite. Um, he's not very good at the fighting scenes. I would say. So it lacks that punch. <laughs> yeah, he's not. But at this stage, there's there's still. And as I say, we'll talk about specific scenes as we go along. But at this stage. They're still kind of cutting around that relatively effectively. There were a few, few scenes where things would happen at pace, where I'm thinking, well, the Roger Moore I think of wouldn't have done that scene. Anything over walking, he needed a stuntman. Mm. And at this stage, he's still <laughs> doing... You know, we're never going to get him confused with Lazenby. We're never going to get the fight confused on the train with, with Red Grant. But, no. you know, only four years later, we get a fight on a train where he's punching the man's metal teeth and going, ow, and mugging his face and all the rest of it. And there's none of that at this stage. No. This is this is a very very good debut performance. Yeah, yeah the it, fight between him and Tihi is like a little bit more restrained, as it were. But yeah, it's a very strong debut for Rog. It's um, it felt watching this, it felt like a, a remix of the franchise. It like like it's like it being revamped into something different. And I think that came with like a new Bonds and Rogers approach. It just like it, especially with like uh, George Martin doing the score. It felt very poppy. Felt very lively. And it it has a sense of jollity to it. it, has a sense of like kind of fun, even though it, it that's that hasn't been there previously. It has a good it has a sense of liveliness and a bit of as a pop kick to it, you know. Even when like the score is great, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a whole mishmash of like fun. Except and soul. there are there are a couple of points where we get to the end of sequences, and it finishes off with with a sort of sting that will sound a bit like Batman sixty six. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, that that's I think in about three or four places. <laughs> the score overall I really liked, and we we must note this is the first score that has no John Barry involvement. No, it's yeah, Beatles producer George Martin. Yeah, it's yeah, it's quite evident really. I mean, I think that's what I I, I sense more when watching it. Um, it's also the first Bond film to kind of suggest supernatural elements as well. Yeah, with the voodoo. Uh, yeah, things. which uh, it doesn't really establish like. It doesn't sort of like confirm things like you know with Baron Sanami and what was going on there. What what his role is, I I, I still don't understand. No, it's like, I think it's deliberately left quite mystical, isn't it? You, you yeah. don't have no, you know, he's the chief of the Legion of the Dead, but and but you don't know what he does and yeah. But uh, does he command an army of zombies or something? But no. <laughs> yeah. And you know, is uh, is Solitaire really like predicting the fortune? Yeah, yeah, I assume she she does, and then she. Gives gives it away to Bond. No, that's it. Because we like on the 
well which bond tricks her which is kind of like i don't know I, I, <laughs> let's, I, I, let's row back a little bit yeah that. that's a little yeah, bit we'll just but, uh, so yeah. we go through bit by bit and okay. sort of dissect each scene i guess becca but, tell us briefly what you think before we get on to our... um yeah i think oh. it's fun um but yeah as you were saying earlier dave i think um later on in the roger moore kind of series he's kind of known for more sort of like campy fun and this is perhaps a bit more paired back um it's, it's not as silly as like uh moonraker or well, even even the next film man with the golden gun that was bizarre but yeah I had, I had a great time watching this film there's so many great lines even in the opening sequence <laughs> um yeah some of the best roger moore lines in the whole series um you know just had a really good time and i remember watching the oh god what was it called that was at Premium Bond with uh, Mark Gettis and Matthew Sweet. Yes, it was. Yes. And yeah, and they said it was more like, I can't, was it black exploitation Bond? And it's like, well, it kind of is. It's more of a black exploitation movie than a Bond movie, but still, it's, you know, it's still great fun. So. Yeah, I, I guess was black was black exploitation films all the rage back then? I mean. Yeah, I mean you've got Gloria Hendry and Yaffa Koto in in this. Both of them were in Across 110th Street. Uh, yeah, definitely. A couple of years before, which uh, we we now know as the sort of opening music to Jackie Brown more than anything else. Mm-hmm. But that that really famous Bobby Womack song, yeah, Godfather of Harlem, that Gloria Hendry was in as well. I don't know if Coffee and Foxy Brown had happened yet, but but certainly we are smack bang in the middle of this era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's um, everything that's popular at the moment in in that kind of that genre of cinema. And and it's the first film for that bond actually goes to new york isn't it and it's quite like a city urban setting for him to kind of it is because we had the, the fleming story 007 in new york but this is like the first time we see him mm. go there on screen which is amazing i think and you were there recently chris so yeah yeah i was like oh okay i've been there but you know it, didn't, <laughs> you know, it, didn't, it, it, it looked kind of quiet though in this film <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not is, very busy is it i've noticed at a, a few points during this film and as i say we'll get to it there, there are some places they go where there's just no one around. But um, yeah, uh, the film actually starts. Obviously, we go pre-title, title, and with the exception of, well, from Russia with Love didn't technically have Bond in the pre-title title, but it did have the Bond actor. Can't think of another pre-title at this stage that's not had the leading man in it. No, Roger's been been in most of them, hasn't he? He's in the series, I think. Yeah, um, and it, it's it's an odd one. I mean, firstly, you. Um, Basically, what we're set up with is a number of British agents are being killed off, and it's all related to, well, we, we get a we get a death at the United Nations in New York. Yeah, the UK uh, uh, ambassador. The UK ambassador yeah. to the United Nations is which killed. Which gets killed by sound. He gets killed. Yeah, gets sonic killed death. By some unpleasant music. Lifting <laughs> <laughs> music. And, and, uh, a really high pitched frequency. And to you his also ear. wonder what those people in the sound booth just didn't notice that guy going and yeah, switching. Yeah, his interpreter, definitely. He was like, who's that mysterious figure behind me missing? <laughs> didn't notice that, did there's he, There's no panic. There's no get him an ambulance or anything. There's just... No, they sort of, they're, they're a bit relaxed for a while, and then they're like, oh, he's fallen over, you know, and you think, oh, wouldn't you be more worried about your UN colleagues? Yeah. Well, it does, not. it does cut away quite quickly, so, you know, it's it gets straight to the point, doesn't it? True. And then we go on to New Orleans, which was the first place I thought because I was in New Orleans earlier this year and it was the first place where I thought this is really really quiet there's no one there obviously there's the funeral march but it, it is like a deserted film set and um, yeah we, we, we are pitched into the middle of a funeral while a guy looks at the fillet of soul restaurant <laughs> I love that kind of line it's like whose funeral is it yours <laughs> 
it, it, I, what what I really like about this particular death is just how eerie it is. How he got old. It's like it's like like Karam. Um, and he said Scaramanga. Then uh, is it is it Karam, <laughs> is it Caramanga? Uh, Fucking hell. Anyway, keep going, Chris. <laughs> The bad guy, basically. Uh, he's, he's kind of like in control. Kananga. 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 I thought you were trying to say Karen Bay. I thought, what's from Russia that we love got to do with No, him? no, no. But um, he's like in control of all these... Uh, like the base, ba- ba- Yeah, basically like this whole village be- are willing to like take part in this guy's death. And in a kind of elaborate kind of way. I mean, mm. like, elaborate like yeah, it's, it's just really kind of weird to get this, basically, this whole community walking around like, oh, doing a fake funeral. Oh, we're actually going to kill this guy then we're all going to celebrate all jolly this is not some quiet village yeah no, it's like this is a major Urban american city yeah um but it was it wasn't the fact that they they did that i mean you know that that would be enough of a distraction it was the fact there was no one else there before they came around the corner there were two guys on a street corner and no one as far as the eye could see <laughs> and i went i went to new orleans in february and you can't move <laughs> well, yeah, well, maybe it was sign of times, but I think it's got it, more touristy. I, in the, I think it adds, what it is. Yeah, I think it adds to the effect a bit more. I would say it's like a uh, artist integrity. I think maybe a little bit. You know, just I, mean, like, I didn't really have a problem with it. Yeah. but I just noticed that you know, <laughs> no, it's it wasn't more eerie. Like, it, it as New Orleans. It could be a back lot. Yeah, but I, I just, I just like the, the change of power. Like kind of like the you know get that get all this sort of community with like women and children and just just seemingly like normal not like they're not like all shifty um guys in polo necks just like you know <laughs> who are all clearly like work like hitmen working for like some gangster they are <laughs> actually people and it's just a little bit eerie how that is kind of effect i think it adds to the film of like oh, that the mystery and the kind of it adds as well it adds to the villain as well because yeah. you think well he's got a lot of pull yeah. as we'll later see in new york but at this stage we've got seemingly unrelated murders except well we find out just the other side of the credits that they're all british mm. you've got a, a british uh, uh delegate to the united nations you've got uh, a british agent mi6 agent on loan to the americans who's in new orleans watching the fillet of soul or fillet of soul <laughs> it's fillet in britain um the fillet, fillet. Of soul. and then you've got um Voodoo. and then you've got uh, the island of san monique which isn't real it's fabrication for this film yes yeah but basically like, a guy a, a guy bites uh, like an un- unconvincing rubber snake. <laughs> Get, well, no, he, he gives like you know, a guy gets bitten by a rubber snake, basically. When this yeah, guy's with, jo- with no bite mark or anything. No, no, no. It's, no. It's literally like you can see it clearly pushing it <laughs> into his face, and like not like the snake actually goes for him. It's literally just like, oh, there you I, are, I and he's dead. His face. Yeah, it's a bit creepy though, because the guy who does it, he's got wears this goat skin on his head. It's like, Stop ooh, right. second Becca. Cut from where, where Chris just finished. You come in after that. I've just switched my test top fan on. Has that caused any problems with sound? No. I didn't, oh, know. No, I did, I didn't notice. All right, carry on. Sorry, from where Chris finished with about the snake, carry on, Becca. I was just saying that, uh, yeah, the guy who thrusts the snake in his face has got this big goat skin on his head, and it's very creepy. And he's got, like, he's clearly loving it as well. He's clearly having a whale of a time. Going like, oh, there's a snake. Oh, yes, we, are, we are at the unfortunate impression all black people dance. <laughs> stage of the film. Um, but yeah, so we've got they, three. They, they've, got, they've got souls, you know, they've got, you know, they've got rhythm. Um, you can tell from all three of them, they're all British. The first one is, is sat at a desk with the United Kingdom written in front of him. 
The third one looks like the most British man in the world. And the, <laughs> second, the second man speaks and has an English accent. So we, we know three agents in seemingly unrelated parts of the world, but on the America's continents, if you like, have been killed. And we go straight James to... James Bond, must investigate. Yeah. And we go into uh, Paul McCartney. Yeah. Is it the first pop group of the night to do a... Uh... I know it's it, well. Is it, it's, it's not Paul McCartney solo, or is it? You know, is it? Paul is McCartney it and Wings. wings. It's Wings. Yeah. It's Paul and Linda McCartney wrote it. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so that that came up on a, a quiz on Wittertainment, and they it and, did. And and, and 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 they said, oh no, it's I've got Paul McCartney here, not Wings. They said it was like Duran yeah. Duran or something, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. They were like, no, actually, it's Paul McCartney and Wings. I thought it said performed by Wings, but to be honest, it could be either. But by the way, what do you reckon to the theme tune? Do you rate it or do you hate it or? What do you guys reckon? I mean, I, I like it. It's a it's a firm favourite for me. Um, but you know, it it is a bit odd. It's, again, it's like it suits the film and then like a really tonal shift for Bond after having like what's gone before. Now you got this like jazzed up pop tune. Yeah, despite it, the kind of rather grim yeah. subject matter, it's kind of it's got a very like jazzy kind of yeah funk soul infused beat to it. I guess. Yeah, I, I think it's fine, and I think it's used in the score pretty well. Uh, I'm not as in love with it. It, to- it, it, it tops a lot of um, it tops a lot of charts for people, best songs and, and all the rest of it. it. It wouldn't be that high up for me, but but I like it. No, it's good fun. They also like the title sequence as well. There's lots of um, skull motif. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, I've got a cold. Um, skull motifs. Yeah, it's a lot of skulls, skulls, a lot of skulls, a lot of fire. Uh, and uh, a lot of uh, Afro women, <laughs> <laughs> and tribal art as well. Which yeah, is very interesting. yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, oh, you're, you're not enamoured, Dave. I'm not that fond of most of the Maurice Binder sequences. I'm really not. I appreciate what they've done for the series, and I appreciate they sent a template that, to some days, to some, in some respects, we're still following. But nearly all of them, I watch at, I look at, and think they, they look pretty shit, actually. <laughs> no, I suppose it's not that great i guess it's not I mean, to my taste at all no but there's only a couple of his i've, I've ever liked which ones are they okay. right spoiling um Rats i like, yeah. I like I, not thematic i mean they're not as strong thematically as daniel Kleinman's, <laughs> but just in the flow of them i quite like the spy who loved me and i oh, really yeah. i quite like his last one as well I, I don't mind the license to kill one um but most of the rest of i like them, that one just, as well actually yeah i think they I think the rest of them just look a bit tacky I just think all the way through, I just think, oh, they were look like they were filmed in a morning somewhere, just quite cheaply, and they probably were. <laughs> Did it quickly, last minute. Quick, we've got to film this. Quick. Yeah, I mean, some of that has been what Daniel Kleinman's done in recent years. I'm not, I don't mean to slate it, to be honest. It, it did what they wanted it to do at the time. Yeah, they all bring a different tone I, to it, don't they? They're not something I generally enjoy. So was past it. Quick, skip. Yeah, I'm quite happy to listen through the song and stuff, but... Not many of them stick out as among my favourites. Okay, moving okay. on. <laughs> Next. <laughs> so that's it. Right, so after the... Uh, yes, after the credits type... Oh, God, I can't even talk. <laughs> what do we see next after the credits? <laughs> uh, we see Bond at home uh, for the first time ever. And he's, uh, you know, and, and uh, of course, Doctor he's with no. a lady. Hold on. This is the second time ever we see his flat, isn't it? Doctor No. Did we see his flat in Doctor No? Yeah. Very briefly. Oh, well. Shocking, Chris. Shocking. Sylvia Trench is playing, is putting in his bedroom. 
Oh, okay. I thought that was like a hotel room somewhere. Okay, never mind. Um, it's the first time we see Rogers Bond's flat. Okay, yeah, <laughs> and it, and, it, and it's quite modern, really. It's quite you know, hip. he's got you know, he's got a coffee machine. Yeah, very very flash. Is that all it does? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Don't we see that being used at excessive length? That, that takes quite a long time I mean, to make this day, coffee. Right, we've all got coffee machines you just hit a button on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We, we see this in excruciating detail. Uh, boil a kettle in less time, you know. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it is with the lady. And what, what's funny? You find out why in a minute. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, start. He's trying to hide it from him, and I'm thinking, why you're a grown man? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I thought that. Like, why would now, Em give a shit? You know, it's like, but I, I do like his uh, uh, Wall's response, where like he gets woken up like dead early by a knock on the door, and he's like, you don't have any chance to be married, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'll husband's love, on the lookout. Uh, yeah. You're asking at slightly the wrong time. Um, <laughs> Plus, it, it turns out, so do you know where Miss Caruso is? congratulated <laughs> on um, the Rome mission. Yeah. Italian mission or whatever Yeah, we don't know what it is, the Rome affair. And what he's basically it? absconded with one of their agents. And that's why he's trying to hide it, because M is like, you haven't seen her, have you? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, uh, no. no. Sir. <laughs> yeah. She's hiding in my wardrobe. <laughs> and Moneypenny at this point suddenly looks a decade older. Yeah, she does bless her. Yeah. Mm. It didn't see her very much. This is like her only appearance in the film, so... Mm. Yeah, it's probably for the best. Though it is a bit weird how Moneypenny finds like the girl she's sleeping and covers for him. Like, a little bit. She's not like... <laughs> oh, allow me, quick! <laughs> yeah, she goes to hang up the coats, doesn't she? Yeah. And also, there's no cue scene in this movie. It's kind of... Apart yeah, from the, the magnetic it. watch. No, it's a it's very gadget light and cue-free movie, unfortunately. Uh, the you... wasn't available. Is that why? No. Yeah, he was off filming Folly Foot, and um, they, he finally negotiated himself some sort of free, free time to do it. Good. By then, they'd sort of written around him. Well, good for him. Um, so, yeah, so but the only gadget is a watch. Yeah, uh, with a, a magnet watch. Uh... <laughs> Watching a sword. <laughs> yeah, which can deflect... That's quite a cool gadget, I think. Which can deflect a bullet from a long range, which uh, a lot of uh, M's response is like, I'm quite willing to test that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can you imagine he, if he, he, sets, he sets that off in like a hotel or something? Yeah. And some woman with a zip up the back of her dress comes flying through <laughs> from, the, from the opposite side of the corridor. <laughs> Sheer magnetism, darling. It's quite powerful. Yeah, but I was like, was there not anything else metal flying around as well? It's like... mm. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Be rubbish. Yeah. But it's reasonably then... efficient storytelling. I mean, we don't see Emma's office in this, but he's given his mission. He's told that basically what's happened, and he's sent off to New York. Yeah. Uh, to uh, meet uh, Felix Leiter. Um, so he gets the taxi at the airport, doesn't he? Yeah, and all the time, all the same. The music's really good over that section. Yeah, and, uh, it's really funky. You hear a voiceover from Jane Seymour's solitaire, explaining that a man comes over water. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Raise eyebrows. Which is yeah. not something we saw. It must have been a deleted scene. He <laughs> <laughs> means he's flying. He's flying up, up in air, and yeah, he's... <laughs> uh, you know he's, he doesn't travel alone because it's uh, you know you know, a, you know a, a public flight, you know. And you notice how... And he brings death and destruction. <laughs> yeah, that's the And a card say 007 on the back of them as well. Yeah, that's a bit weird. And I, I, I picked that up on this this watch. I was like, hang on, that's a bit, that's a bit of a convenience, isn't it? That's a bit of a... <laughs> I've never like, noticed that before. I was, like, like, I, I was reading up about the film. I was like, oh, yeah, they say 007 on the back. How weird. Yeah, it's like it's, it's almost like he had his own brand of cards. <gasps> <laughs> I didn't <Yeah>. say. 
So, so yeah. see, that's how, that's how he managed to get like all, like all those copies of the same car, the lovers on him. Yeah, he just went into the James Bond catalogue <laughs> and, <laughs> and ordered them. It's either that way, he went to the shop and bought so many packs of cards and just... <laughs> <laughs> bought all of them, right. Yeah. That's creepy. <laughs> yeah, so he picked up the rental car um, and he has a few problems along the way, doesn't he? Yeah, uh, we get a first glimpse of uh, Whisper, which is like, I suppose is one of the, the many henchmen in this film. Yeah, Mr. Big has a lot of Oh, he's, he's whispering in the car, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Yes, and we also get some lovely Tom Mankiewicz dialogue again. Oh, no, that's a bit further oh, on, actually, when cringe. he gets the taxi. <laughs> yeah, but it's... Uh, yeah, so basically, Miss uh, Kananga is warned that Bond is on his way. He must... He will know it's Secret Service because they've basically already been killing agents who are investigating, and we'll get to what they're investigating a bit later on. And so they shoot the driver of the the uh, car Bond is being driven to New York City in. And so we get a basically a, an out of control car with Bond in the back of it. Yeah, uh, I always thought this was kind of like an in, like a bit a little bit of an insufficient way of assassinating Bond. I mean, yeah, okay, you you put him in a bit of a predicament, but it's not really guaranteed death, does it? Well, yeah, you've no. got you've got something that you can shoot through the window at. Someone driving the car. Bond is sat right behind. Well, it's, it's, it's well, uh... assassinate Bond rather than assassinate his yeah. driver. Well, no, but, yeah, but the driver's <laughs> driving with his window down, though. I think. Ah. Well, that's handy. Not yeah. But uh, I, I agree. You, you, you would come up with a better strategy to kill. Uh, yeah, personally, I mean, like you know, why not drive drive him off a cliff or something, or or drive by shooting. Yeah, or or something, you know, or I, I always think. Sniper, sniper his ass. <laughs> like as soon as he leaves the car, just like set up outside Felix's building, just like you know, just like that. Bring that bring the series to an abrupt end, though. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but yeah, but into... no, regenerate into Timothy Dalton. Oh, okay. <laughs> Skip seven movies and just yeah, regenerate this like guy that. with a Welsh accent and be sat there going, you know, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it's that sort of slow dipping mechanism thing. It's like you know, you come up with like like much more better ways of killing someone if you really want them dead. And it's just like, uh, you know, is, is that really the best way? I mean, the only real figure way, unless it's more kind of like a warning, and if it happens to kill him, oh great. But it is an know. action sequence that suits Roger Moore's Bond quite well because not yeah. only is he sitting down, he's not even actually driving. <laughs> no, he's that, not. That is, that is a Roger Moore era action scene. He could just sit in the back. No, just grimace. But we meet uh, Felix Leiter and it's a new guy again. Yeah. Edison. Yeah, uh, what do we think of him? Because he's the one in um, License to Kill, isn't he? He, he, does yeah, he repi- pops up again. It's not like, um, like C. Slinda or who do we get later on? Um... Uh, I guess. John Terry, who's like a complete non-entity, but, um, and but yeah, I I think in, in terms of ranking the lighters, um, <laughs> as you would too, um, he probably sits atop. Yeah, I, I I think he's probably up there. I think he's only second with uh, the current Phoenix lighter. Um, oh, Jeffrey Wright, yeah. Yeah, uh, but I think that's more he's there I, because he was in License to Kill. Yeah, I was gonna say that. It's... Yeah, he's in your favorite film, so yay. <laughs> <laughs> He's fine, but we're in Manhattan. We have an action sequence, and then basically, we're Bond is sent after Kananga because they've run a plate, a partial plate, 
on the car that the driver was shot from. Mm. So now he's without a car and basically he follows Kananga into a building and they get and they lose him because Kananga's recorded a whole sequence of him talking. Yeah. Put a flag in there. It's like he's giving like a big speech to the Senate and he's like, right. <laughs> Too many of our island neighbours, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> And of course, they they all change because my first thought is because Jane Seymour takes her coat off and it's like she's forgotten to get dressed. In negligee. Because they've got to dress them, and they leave. And we later find out what that's all about. But they they basically leave in a different car, and Bond has to jump in a taxi, driven by Tom Bankovich's dialogue. <laughs> I'm guessing you're oh, not a fan. Oh, 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 it's a oh, hey, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Jim. Oh, How are you oh, doing? For $20, I'll drive to Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> I know, it's just... He's, oh. heading, he's heading on in. It was cringy. Very cringy. Oh, I kind of like that guy. <laughs> he kind of cheers me up. Relax, sit back. And the dr- cab driver t- immediately gets on the radio. And they, they, there's people on the radio all the way through the route. So yeah. Even shoe shining guy. <laughs> the guy who's having his shoes cleaned didn't think this Wait, yeah which, which is kind of like, doesn't make any sense when you the actual guy driving is in on it as well so yeah. that makes all point all pointless the fact that you got a guy on like each corner going like oh he's heading this way he's heading this way he's heading that way doesn't make any fucking sense yeah no. <laughs> but it's... it just goes to show that he's got so much sway and basically he controls yeah. everybody in Manhattan so that's it, it, it actually conveys that pretty well yeah, pretty much. That, that's, any, see, that's the only purpose of that. So, yeah. yeah. So, he goes so. into a bar where you can get a cheeseburger for 70 cents. Bargain. <laughs> I know. Exchange rate was obviously a lot better back in those days. Cents, it? Is that coming with fries or? I think it's 80 cents with fries. Chris, let me get the film on and I'll call up their menu for you. <laughs> <laughs> are you are we'll you have a booth, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll jump in the time machine in, in, uh, and jump into a fictional world, yes. Yeah, okay. If you, if, you, if you order a bourbon and branch water, apparently if you have it neat, that costs extra, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is I like. Found one, that funny anyway. This is one of the many times oh, yeah, where. Big bridge flashback then. <laughs> this, this is one of the many times where Bond enters uh, the establishment and then gets like. Like sort of taken away to somewhere else by like a, a tw- like a a moving, a mo- like a like a moving table, like a like a, a sliding door or something like that. You just sort of yeah, it's down at the table and it got yeah. a ro- rolling. I mean, Yeah, this time it's a boo when he gets uh, taken to uh, Mr. Big. Basically, and he meets like a bit more henchmen and things like that. Um, but by this point, he hasn't kind of put the whole Mr. Big Kananga thing together. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think. Well, he thinks Kananga is in with Mr. Big. Because yeah, sure. So they didn't know that. Plot spoiler: are the same person. <gasps> yeah, Mr. Big owns most of Harlem. Which oh, the mother that held you up down? I'll be doing very bad impressions throughout this podcast. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, come on, it... let's hear one then. <laughs> it... well, we'll do we'll do JW when it, when we come to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is you know. I mean, what do we think of Mr. Big? I mean, he's kind of set up as a the second villain, but like, did, was any of you surprised? Like, I mean, his, his makeup doesn't look a bit... Just kind of no. give it away, really. It's or kind of obvious it's the same guy. Right, but in all honesty, it depends. I mean, I would have first seen this on the small screen, back when the small screen was the small screen. Yeah. Cathode ray TVs. Sure. And something definitely didn't look right 
But, I mean, that could have been an actor with burns or anything. Yeah, he looks kind of quite scarred I mean, in his appearance, doesn't he? Put it on the modern TVs we've got now, and yes, it's clearly a disguise. Um, whereas I think when I first would have seen it, I would have just looked at it and thought something's not right there. Yeah. It like, looks a bit weird. Would, you, would it would have played better had you never seen Mr. Big? He, like, he kind of built it up as, a, as, as like a big thing, like the building up to like, oh, like this other villain, and then they... Would, would, that, would that have worked better, you think? Uh, well, yeah, Bond would have had to not see him as well, though, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. Because obviously, obviously. Anger seems to be at least semi-well-known. But, but he doesn't really do much anyway. I mean, like, he's basically in two scenes. And yeah, and, and this one scene, he, he kind of just go, he just walks in and goes like, yeah, just kill him. <laughs> I like even hearing Yeah, anything. it kind of gives us our first taste of Mr. Big Reed, doesn't it? Because it just basically allows Bond to escape yeah. from, from, I mean, from his... They, they could, then, have, as it were. could have easily had like one of the guys like walk into like the room where Mr. Big is and walk out and say like yeah the boss says kill him. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I didn't really need to see him, I guess. Yeah. And so we just get him to come out because that's your mother. Tell him to I mean, the book's very different anyway. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the book's completely different. No anger in the book. No, this is probably one of the you know occasions where the book and the film were just wildly yeah because it's Mr. Apart. Mr. Big is the villain in the book, is that right? Is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he is. I really wouldn't recommend the book because it's dated worse than any other. Yeah, sort of yeah. read that now. And I mean, some of the Fleming books, they are very sexist, racist, racist and misogynist. Of, and this yeah. is the worst, this is the most cringeworthy. It's full of Fleming's um, observations on the black man. No, this is it. So, but it's, it's very much of their time and you have to kind of read them as such. So. Yeah, I would think they were racist at the time. They <laughs> were. I cannot imagine that's the way that the whole... Of literature was no, it's got it's abhorrent now, really, isn't it? To think about it, but so yeah, the book reading cringe. Oh. Anger is an, an invention of the film. The name comes from the guy who owned the crocodile farm. We see later. Didn't he do? Was he like stunt coordinator or something as yes, well? He did. he did that run across. Oh, that's the one. That's yeah. Ross Kananga who owns that farm. Yeah. <laughs> and trespassers will be eaten. He's actually a real sign. Oh wow! Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, I guess actually watching it because I've watched it again this evening this film is actually fairly slight you think of it as quite plotty because it starts off with like three seemingly unconnected attacks in different parts of the well that continent I guess yeah. um, but I mean we'll get to it the second time we see Mr. Big Stroke Kananga and we are there's a lot of padding around the film, actually. This film has to be padded out to its two-hour running time. Yeah, it's not particularly plot-heavy, is it? Actually, all the intrigue is sort of up until we find out who Mr. Big is. And then there's not actually much actual plot after that. It's, it's very much more like uh, Bond's being chased, and then Bond goes and gets Kananga, basically. Yeah, well, the boat chase yeah. takes up the bulk of it. So he gets taken out into the um, alleyway to be killed. Oh yeah, Miss Solitaire. Oh, we've missed... oh yeah, she's a Solitaire yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Solitaire. Uh, yeah, Solitaire's there reading the cards. So, uh, like you know, uh, like so the card reads that he's a fool. Um, and then you found yourself. Yeah, and then uh, th- then he's sort of like, oh, what, what about my future? We'll pick a card, and he's sort of, and of course it's the lovers' card. I think which triggers his <laughs> idea. Us. Yeah, us. Think, yeah, I can Ooh. see how sleazy you're going to end up seeming to me. <laughs> uh, she looks genuinely scared by that expression. We're used to age gaps, and you know, people with age gaps in real life—that's your own business. But the fact is, for most of the filming of this, 
Jane Seymour's 21, Roger Moore is 45, and because they play her as a virginal type, well, literally a virgin, they play on her naivety, and I'm not sure that's the best way to go against a first-time Bond who's 45. <laughs> he looks good, if, though. If Connery is 45, he looks good. Era, then maybe. So it just ends up looking a bit creepy. And as a result, she ends up reminding me pretty much of Domino. And I think I said that when we did the um, Thunderball review. She, she's just kind of a li- very beautiful, a little bit bland, not much of an actress, and just a kept, wom- kept woman. No, she's like very innocent as well. Like when he does play the the lover's card, as it were, you can see the terror on her face, thinking, "Oh, oh no!" You know, she is pretty much played as a damsel uh, more than anything. Uh, her the only thing she's got is that that she can she's a psychic. But once she loses that ability, she's got nothing. Yeah. No, that's like, yeah, she's useless, um, poor lady. But uh, the, but then she's in a world that's like that. I mean, like, do, I mean, doesn't like Kananga say? Say to her like, uh, only only when uh, I choose you to lose that power, I will I will take it away myself. Meaning like, yeah, well, naturally, well, we I'm the, I'm, I'm the I'm the one that's gonna fuck you, which is yeah. kind of a bit yeah, weird. Yeah, I'll take away your virginity. Yeah, which is weird. Yeah, so that's creepy enough. I'm to not. Hit. I think she actually probably suits the role as written. Yeah, but like I say, as much as he, he, he's far from looking too old in this film at all. But we've got a first-time Bond in his mid-40s, and they've put the young, youngest Bond girl since Tatiana up against him, literally and figuratively. <laughs> and I'm not sure that was the wisest decision. Yeah. No. It was the 70s, I suppose. It's... I mean, there's a, there's a big age gap, even probably even a bigger age gap when we get to For Your Eyes Only, not with PB, with um, uh, <laughs> Melina. But well, Melina don't... plays a little bit... It, I mean, look, it, it gets worse. I mean, like, look, a view to a kill is pretty bad. Stacey Sutton's thirty, though. Yeah, but the, the, isn't that Roger well, looks the, older by that point? Yeah, yeah, Captain but Robert, Stacey Yeah, but isn't like, um, like, more makes a comment like, actually, I am older than your mum. Oh, definitely. So, like, she's kind much, of yeah. like, yeah. Point, but... but I must say, in this film, even though he's kind of like mid forties, Roger does look good, though. I think. Yes, he does. In my opinion. So, yeah, I mean, let's just talk about before we go any further with the film. We really ought to talk about the casting of Roger Moore. Um, what's your? Did you watch some of the extras for this, Becca? Um, no, <laughs> sorry. Oh, it's just me then. Yes. No, one... Well, it is your job. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry about that. I... It's unpaid. It's an unpaid. It's like an internship. <laughs> uh, an internship. Sorry. Um, it's well. We talked earlier on in the series about how Roger Moore was in line for when um, it play- for when Doctor No was being cast, and we know that Harry Saltzman knew him, and we know that Harry Saltzman was always keen on him. But it turns out, and Roger Moore told me this himself a couple of weeks ago. <gasps> now he didn't. It- he told me. He told me in four hundred of my closest <laughs> uh, that he was never spoken to about Doctor No at all. So, whatever rumours, he said, I don't know what was in people's heads, but no one spoke to me or my agent. Um, He was spoken to around the time that Sean Connery was quitting. And they were originally talking about doing The Man with the Golden Gun after, let me think, uh, yeah, after, now hang on, was it in 67 he was spoken to? I think it would have been when Sean quit. I think it would have been after You Only Live Twice. Yeah. And they were going to film it in Cambodia. 
that Cambodia was as um, it's quite dangerous. Yeah, politically unstable. <laughs> yeah, as it would remain for a very uh, long time afterwards. And the whole idea got canned and all the rest of it. Why they didn't say, okay, well we're now doing Majesties, we'll have you do that. I've no idea, but he said he was spoken to about doing the man with the golden gun in Cambodia. It never happened. When we get to the end of Sean Connery's run, a second go at the role, um, there's talk again about who's going to play Bond. Connery says no, and there's a lot of talk of different people, and they offered the role to Clint Eastwood. That would have been amazing. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> I thought of it tonight when I was watching the like, one of the later scenes in the film where he's carrying that massive gun, <laughs> and I'm thinking that's a that's a dirty Harry gun. It is pretty much, isn't it? Um, they screen tested and talked to a lot of different people. Uh, Clint Eastwood turned them down clearly. Uh, Adam West. Adam West was before this. Adam West was around the time of Majesties. Oh, because of Batman. Their, their sort of backup option was Michael Billington, and we see Michael Billington in the opening sequence of The Spy Who Loved Me as Triple X's lover. Yeah, yeah, he's got a kind of very bondish appearance, hasn't he? There was talk he? of Burt Reynolds, there was talk of oh God. sorts. But Harry Saltzman particularly was the person who rang Roger Moore and offered him the role. Uh, and thereafter, and he does tell this story in his live show, that Harry Saltzman kept ringing him up and saying, Cubby said you need to lose a bit of weight. Cubby says you need to... <laughs> oh yeah, this, yeah, you had to kind of lose weight he and get, get a haircut. and. His choice, I don't think. I'm not saying Cubby Broccoli didn't like him or want him and it's clear that he had the closer relationship with Cubby over time Sure. but Harry Saltzman's choice was very much Roger Moore but he'd been on their minds we can say with certainty since 1967 but he was heavily dieted to get into this role. Not that he was obese or anything like that but no. I think it just wouldn't turn up and get into shape I guess. I mean he's pretty trim here. He very much is. Yeah, you can tell. It's very good in this role. I, I've noticed with a few of the Roger films I've, I've seen later, uh, lately, sorry, they, they put him in quite a lot of black and it suits him. Yeah, it's, quite, it's quite slimming, isn't it? Not, not, that, he, <laughs> not that he needs it, but it is quite, suits him quite slimming. You wore a lot of it in Moonraker. He wears quite a bit of it in this. And it does suit him. It's very suave. Very. Yeah, no, I've got doubts about them casting. I forget what I think of Roger Moore generally, but it. I, I'm a bit uh, casting someone for their first go round in a film that will be released in the year you turn 46. I'm not sure of the wisdom of that, but he's not a problem in this film at all. No, I mean, no age he, certainly isn't an issue. Yeah, that, you know, he, he he still looks kind of fresh. You know, he's you know he still looks physically fit, and you know, and I think this is one of his best performances anyway as Bond. I've always felt that. Um, we will get to what, like, a performance I prefer in uh, few eyes only, but like to me, this still Holt retains like some a bit more of the hardness to him, you know, as well as like the you know the nudge nudge wink wink that you know that more is more where, known where, for. I have a problem, Chris. Is actually not with this film. It's it's more that we cannot switch off the fact we know the films that follow it. Yeah. So when he's yeah, that's true. Solitaire us. And I think you sleazy fucker. <laughs> the whole thing with throwing the car. Well, that, well, that itself superimposing Roger Moore sort of Moonraker and Beyond on. Yeah. I'm, 
I'm not sure that I'm still that comfortable with these scenes, but I wouldn't necessarily call him. I think no. I think for that moment is quite a bond thing to do. You know, uh, it's uh, when he says like, oh. The two of us, you know, I I get why he make that assumption because like you would think he was expecting like the death card or something like that, mm. but instead he sort of picks out lovers and he would assume like oh so is this going to be us kind of kind of thing and and you can, and, you can, and you, 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 more of a come on. Well, it's it's more it's what well, like what else like who else would it be and you can see the look on Sarah's face that <clears throat> she actually kind of senses it. It's like she's like like worried like oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh... well, she turns it over while he's on the way because he says, uh, you know, when he's um, she turns over the lover card. Yeah, and and, uh... death, and she's like, it's death. So she does know. Yeah, yeah she knows he's, he, that Bond's going to be the one. It's not going to be Kananga. And initially, yeah. I always thought it was because Roger Moore's obsessed. Roger Moore's Bond's obsessed with sex. Then I realized. <laughs> that. Then I actually thought for a period of time, it's to remove that power, so she's no help to Kananga. But then he doesn't know that sex would remove that. So yeah, how is he to know? It, I think it's more the old-fashioned shagger to get her on side, a bit like with Pussy Galore. Yeah, pumper for information. To use a quote from a much later Bond movie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do, I, I do like his follow-up. Uh, his follow-up when he's getting dragged away. Now you just you just stay right here. I'll be right back. <laughs> I'll be right back in a few minutes. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so he basically gets like thrown outside. Why did they just don't shoot him there? Then I don't know. But the, he gets thrown outside to like a, you know, a, a wasteland alleyway. It's just like derelict buildings, and uh, he he beats up the two guys. Basically, that's what happens. Really easily. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are little hints. I, I do like the, the moment where like he sees like the. Like the metal frame, and he kind of goes for it, and he, they tell him, oh, oh, hands up, okay, that didn't work. And then, so he's like, you know, he's a Bond that is still kind of looking for his way. He's, he's still thinking, you know, he's like, right, okay, how do I get out of this? What can I use? You know, he's not. You see his mind working all the time, and yeah. he's very much the practical kind of hands on, obviously, yeah. as he is. But... The unflappability of, at this stage actually works quite well. We'll get to it into some scenes later on. Yeah, that, that's a good I'm word. Still, he's obviously very cool in a crisis. I don't think Bond suits New York particularly. I don't think he suits America very well, actually. But he really doesn't. He, he doesn't, but I kind of like the contrast. Roger Moore's James Bond, who's like always immaculate and I don't know. He's always well dressed, his hair's nicely coiffured and. Not as rough and ready, perhaps. Yeah, I always remember um, Grace Jones said he had the stiffest hair she'd ever seen. <laughs> oh, there's a quote. Jeez. Yeah. He, he had the what? Stiffest hair she'd ever seen. <laughs> well, that hairspray. Yeah. And, and coming from her. <laughs> yeah. Fucking yeah. hell. That's saying something. With quite severe hairdo. <laughs> yeah, but I don't like Grace Jones anyway, so she can... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on team Roger with that one. Uh, uh, we'll talk about her near the time. Yeah. She's like an Amazon woman. <laughs> uh, so he escapes from that and... Yeah, picked it, up by Harold Strutter, CIA. Yeah. So Felix is looking out for him too. Yeah. And where does he go from there? I generally... Can't, well, I think he goes back to Felix, doesn't he, basically? He's sent to San Monique, isn't he? Yes, that's right. He goes to San Monique because he's aware there's something going on there. Yeah. And, and uh, check out when he gets to the checkout, like he's at Tesco. When he gets to reception, uh, <laughs> somebody there. Yeah, Mrs. I mean, Bond. I mean, we, we, I will mention this is the first time we actually see Baron Sanmadi, San uh, because he's there performing. 
Yeah. yeah. Performing basically means moving around a bit and laughing. Yeah. I don't pay to see that. Yeah. Because no. I, I could happily walk on stage. Yeah, and, 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 like and, that. and doing that thing where you jowls, when you shake your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would go well with motorboating. We can include that. That's something uh, for you guys to do. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's just a bit. I think it was just established that he's in a film because he isn't actually in it that much. Um, he's not really. He's more symbolic than anything else. Yeah, he's just kind of, you know, at times he just kind of it's randomly hangs around. You know, um, playing on people's superstitions is to frighten people away from those poppy fields. Yeah, that's what it is. But when, like, whenever you see him and he's not, he's out of his Baron Somebody costume, as it were, he's wearing like really flamboyant, um, sort of big top hats and carrying a cane. And, and he did a lot of the, he did the the dance choreography for that scene as well, but also all the fight choreography as well for the um, rest of the film. I think, as far as I know, I have to verify that, Dave. <laughs> But yeah, That's my research anyway. <laughs> we are getting to the first bit of the film. We're getting to a part of the film I like, followed strictly by, followed immediately by a, a trope more of the Roger Moore era than any other. Although you could say it about all eras of, of Bond ladies to some degree. I quite like the unflappability when when he kills. He gets into his suite. He's uh, shaving. There's a um, snake. Did there. anyone else think of Doctor No about? About that. Sorry. Did anyone else think Doctor No? Definitely, and oh, I, think that's bit, yeah. I think it is kind of trying to introduce him in a similar way, but the there are differences. I mean, we'll get to him. He smokes cigars for a start. Yeah, that's uh, a massive cigar as well. He doesn't ask for a martini, um, but there's an unflappability to him when he when he sort of turns around and kills that snake. Hmm. You know, it's not that he never shows fear, but he looks pretty relaxed afterwards. Yeah, he's just there putting on the shave on. An agent, he calms down pretty quickly. Does. Um, but then we're introduced to Rosie Carver, and one of my biggest problems with the Roger Moore era is even by the standards of Bond girls, he had to act, particularly in his 70s films more than his 80s, he acted with a lot of like characters written as complete dummies. And in both. Yeah, it's not very well written. Well, with both this film and the next film, they're Oh, God, as well. yeah. And yeah, they're, and, and they're just they're agents. and they're useless. They are they are generally useless. I think Rosie, Rosie Carver must be the worst CIA agent going, even though she's not a real CIA agent. Well, the worst bit was, uh, I mean, for, I mean, we'll get back to this scene in a minute. But later on, when she she points the gun at somebody, and she doesn't even take the safety off. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, they, they they do write her as a rookie, like oh, like this is this is my second mission. The first one was the the guy who died. Oh well, that. Yeah, that's like, it's, it's like her cover story, isn't it, yeah. pretty much? I mean, she's obviously but not she's real CIA, CIA but... double agent. Mm. So she, she's basically working for Kananga, but she's supposed to be an agent. And are they supposed to be all fantastic and flawless? No. But she's terrified, incredibly she's te naive. Of There's everything. No it's like, at the sight of a dead snake, she screams. It's like, oh, you know, uh, I should warn you, you never go in there without mongoose. <laughs> like, <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's that. And, I'm, and of course, Moore tries it on instantly. And she's like, oh, no, Felix told me, told me about this. That's why I've got two sweets. It's like, oh, okay, then, well, she's, she's reserving herself. Oh no! There's a there's like a, a voodoo hat in a room. Now she's terrified. Now she's, she's literally certainly slightly racist because it's it's implying anyone of that race would fall for all the same stuff. Yeah, she's supposed to be a somewhat experienced CIA agent. I mean, even if their experience is only a basic training. 
you know? People don't just walk into the CIA, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah. So I'm not going to give the film a hard time because I don't think it's meaning to be racist. I think it's inadvertent, but it's it's awkward, and I'm not that comfortable with it. No, there's a, that sort of tone running through this film. Moral's boat, the next mm. morning, she is just absolutely flat out incompetent in every way. Yeah, worst CIA agent ever. She she is pretty dull. I mean, like there is a line. I'm sure Dave loved this, but like she acknowledges that. Oh, I'm just completely useless to you. And <laughs> more, I'm more. Like, don't worry, darling. It's like, well, don't worry. I'm sure uh, I'll look you into shape. Or like, <laughs> oh sure, I'm sure I'll find you some use for you. And they kind of like raised eyebrows. Like, oh god. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's basically we meet Quarrel Junior. Uh, Quarrelsome from Doctor No, which is kind of like a, a nod to that, I suppose. It's not yeah, so much a back. nod to that as the fact that um, in the book sequence, uh, Living Let Die is the second book, Doctor No's, I think, sick. Yeah. Like I said fifth in the intro episode, but I, I miscount and I tend to leave out Dimes Are Forever, not maybe because the film scarred me, I don't know. Scarred for life. Quarrel is in that book before going on to being killed in Doctor No. Because Doctor No came first, they've already killed the character off. Yeah, and yet they suddenly got this. I don't know if it's to link it to being the same Bond, same but different, or because they thought it's living that dying quarrels in it. Well, they kept very little else from the book, so I don't see the point. But it, it, it's over briefly. He physically, he does have a resemblance in build and sort of yeah. facial features t- to the original. Yeah, you do believe that. Oh, this could be his son. Hmm. Um, I'd say so. There, there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. But it's a th- it's a throwaway scene, really. It's just somebody, yeah, out. yeah, uses a boat and like and and Rosie thinks she finds out something. She finds like oh, there's like a radio and a gun. So she's like, oh, he's actually working for Kananga, which but doesn't make any sense because she'd know. Yeah, and I know. Like, okay, well, if she does, don't generally think that. Well, wouldn't she just let him do the job anyway? Because I mean, she that's wouldn't necessarily know everyone who worked for Kananga. Yeah, but if she got on a boat with one of Kalanga's acolytes or double agents yeah he'd probably find a way to let her know particularly given she's fucking armed yeah definitely um but yeah so she she makes a fool out of herself in in that regards and then and then they they decide to go on a picnic (laughs) to try and find out where uh, worst picnic ever yeah um He's like, darling, I thought you said Beans was called Up in the Mountains. Oh yeah, well, Up in the Mountains down there. It's for her Ooh. to get, his, get her gums around his plums. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also... It's part of a picnic. Adam, <laughs> and, and also I might add that this... Also, on the way there, we get cutscenes of Kananga, like, listening on his radio, getting updates. And he's like... this. It's a funny performance. I mean, should we talk about Kananga? Like yes, yeah. a, a, as as a villain, what do we think of as, as him as a villain? Because I find him very uneven, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, it's kind of a bit of a dichotomy, really. I think in the first part of the film, is well, personally, I, I do find him quite menacing. Um, but then later on in the film, when as we were sort of saying, you know, infiltrates his lair, he turns into kind of like mustache twirling panto villain almost. And I don't like his demise at all. It's just oh, so bad. Yeah, it, it is pretty it's cartoony. But like well, the, the, the less we see him, I think the more effective he is. But that, that's no, that's no reflection on on the performance at all. Because um, and other films, but I just think for, for this film, the less we see him, the more effective he is. Like, I generally thought like when he's most of the majority of his scenes, he's he kind of just acts like he's just in a mood, like he's just like they're grumpy and like oh, t- <laughs> oh like where's Bond now? 
oh, oh, good, like, well, we'll, we'll find him. him. You know, oh, like, you know, it's like, literally, I must have spent a day of, like, him sat in, like, this office, like, right, take that line. Oh, no. And press that button. Say that line. And press that button. For me, uh, I'm kind of ranking as, as we go. Um, yeah. Because we're going to do... We know we're going to do a villains episode. and But what I've actually got is, like, my, my previous ranking, if you like, or a ranking at the outset. And I'm actually adjusting it as I go. And Kananga is probably going to be, like, the biggest drop. Because in my head, I think it's the fact that Bond is taken through a city that's on his side, effectively, or a big portion of a city. Mm. So he's very well protected. They wisely keep Teehee quite near him most of the time. And Teehee's physically imposing and a bit scary. Baron Samadhi is... Um, what's the word? I guess he's mysterious enough that you wonder what sort of thing Kananga's into. He's effectively got a very young girl hostage. You know, she might have, she might not know any different. Um, and also the bit where he's big and reveals himself as Kananga, and they're on about cutting his finger off and all the rest of it. I find all of that kind of quite unsettling. So, if you show me three minutes of every Bond villain, and their best three minutes, Kananga's would be quite high up. But I'm watching it again tonight. He's in it a lot less than I thought he was. And like you say, for most of the film, he's just basically a bit moody. And he meets a rather shitty demise. So he's not as good as I thought he was. Yeah. Quite memorable, though, isn't it, this death? It, it, yeah, yeah, but for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, mm, definitely. I I think I think when, when he, I, I, I do enjoy him when he starts to kind of hammer up a little bit. So like he has two mm. moments where he does this. One where... He reveals that he is Mr. Big, and he takes the makeup off, and he's like explaining his plan to Bond. And mm. and the and the other time is where is actually at the end where he where Bond goes goes to his lair and he and they and he and he captures Bond and um and, and solitaire and he's kind of like oh come in Bond like let's have champagne oh I believe anti villain yeah I, I believe Poppers oh well you know it's quite resilient you know you just delayed it somewhat you know minor inconvenience <laughs> kind of just pack, blown it off almost you know he's he's kind of smiling kind of like you know in a kind of cocky self way but he has his, has a dark moment with with solitaire where oh yeah does he have a two wait, wait, I think wait. That, yeah that, that scene where they're in the back of the fillet so and he's kind of threatening like he's got Mr. You know, um, <laughs> like his, his pinky finger. Yeah, I feel there's a real sense of threat there, mm. but uh, otherwise not really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you know, he's a switch from that charm to like you know, but the question still stands. Did, yeah, did you mess with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this and, and and he's like quite sort of, you know, he's quite ang- he's angry to what it also in the kind of like domestic violence kind of way. It's kind of like oh fucking. It doesn't hell, fall into the the cliche generally of guest friendship, if you like. In the, it's it's almost a bit sort of epic form in that regard. Uh, in the quite often Bond will be opposite opposite his mortal enemy or the person that will kill him or he will kill one way or the other. Yeah. And they're chatting over a nice drink, or some food or whatever. Yeah. Um. Some sometimes that's done very well. Sometimes it comes off very lame. But the villain he most reminded me of was Fran Sanchez. Because they tried to make him at least somewhat real world. And also, there's none of that. 
There's none of that. I mean, and, and the only time Sanchez was friendly to Bond was when Bond had actually convinced him he wasn't quite what he thought he was. Mm. Um, Kananga, from the moment he sat down at the end of a table opposite him, wants his throat. It's as simple as that. And, and I quite like that. But all I'm saying is his, over effect, his overall effect on the film is a lot less, a lot less, a lot less than I thought it was going to be. And it's a bit more uneven than I remember. So it, he's actually been probably the biggest letdown of this watching. It feels like he's been given, like, he's just been directed differently in each scene. It's like, 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 it, like it, it, it one set of scenes, he's like, right, told to this. And then... Mm. And then when, when and and in a certain aspect, like we need to be dark and menacing, and then and the other part, you need to be kind of charming as a Bond villain. It's really dis- it's like disjointed, isn't it? Really yeah. I mean, like it's, I think I think I'm, I mentioned to you guys, it's like it's like it's almost like towards the end of filming, he's like he's suddenly like actually no, I'm going to enjoy myself a bit more. <laughs> so <laughs> so he just kind of like just just like kind of smiles and charms. And you do wonder what order this was all shot in. Yeah. So. But yeah, I... well, they, yeah, very often they, they don't shoot it in sequence that you see in the film, is it? So you kind of think, well, okay, in the scene you act happy, in the scene, you know. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it, it, it is very uneven, though, but, he, mm. I, but I will admit he is memorable. Yeah, it's one yeah, of the more I'd memorable villains, that. I think. And, and because he's quite young, he's, you know, especially at the time, he's actually quite young for a Bond villain. You know, he's got a little bit of like a... He almost, he's always looks like similar age to Bond himself, and he's... You know, he... Well, Yafet Koto's still alive and well now, so he yeah. might even have been yeah, younger than Roger Moore. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I don't know what he's best known. I guess he would be best known for Alien. Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, I, it was a good time to talk about Kananga, actually, because, as I say, they're about to get to the truth of, well, he's about to get, get to Solitaire's place and... Um, and Poppy Fields. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Also, yeah. So Rosie Carver, she ends up uh, bonds her out and then points her and basically makes her like. Well, it it gives what a bot what of something that Bond would do, which basically like, oh no, we, they'll they'll kill me if I tell you, and she just pulls a gun and says, "Well, I'll kill you if you don't." And the thing I get from Bond as a character is that Bond is someone who would generally fucking do that. He would not give a shit. You know, if he finds out you're a traitor, he will just shoot you. Yeah, yeah, no qualms of doing that. Even if you're someone he's just slept with, he will just do it. Mm-hmm. That's uh, it. That's, yeah, that's why I come back to all the Rogers' performance. He, do, he still get the, the sense that he is quite deadly like that. Yeah, he's like, well, I'll kill you if you don't. Speak so, now. <laughs> <laughs> well, at this point, Roger Moore sells me he's an agent at the peak of his powers. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. You know, this, this is all pretty... <laughs> relative to the Bond series as a whole, this is relatively believable. Sure. Um, but yeah, Rosie is being watched all the time, and of course she's about to give up what she does know, and she's basically shot by remote control. <laughs> Death by Scarecrow. Yeah, which is like it's pretty convenient placing for all these scarecrows. <laughs> but but also, why didn't one of them shoot Bond? I, I just don't yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's chasing after her, you. Think well. You're on your land now. It's Another not mis- like, opportunity. It's not like you've, you're shooting him in a bar in Harlem anymore. You're shooting him in Summer Island on an estate. He could just be never seen again. Doing for trespassing. You know, but, uh, you know, he doesn't. They, they shoot Rosie, and he basically immediately goes straight for Solitaire, mm. which is why he's there anyway. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, so he he sneaks into the compound with a a set of <laughs> deck of cards with all the same thing on them. Mm. Um, so what do we think of this scene? Is it pretty creepy? Do you think, or do you think? I don't of... like it. I don't like it. I, over the years, I've come to sort of realise why it's there, and you can make a case for it. But again, I can't forget fifty something sleazy Roger, and he's she's twenty one, and I, I don't like this at all. No, it just feels very uncomfortable to me. Like, oh, mm. yeah, I, I, I don't mind it. I, I, I guess like the the feel and doing a da 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 and the soundtrack just kind of like, mm. I don't know. It, it, I mean, it, it, but it is what it is. I suppose it's just you know we got it. You've got to get to it. Saltaire's got to sleep with him, and she's got to lose her powers, mm. and then it drives the story along. It's totally all over the place as well. Because when they wake up the next day, or they're laying in bed in the morning, yeah, she's full of like regret and sadness, and she looks genuinely like she's just made a massive mistake. And he gets out of bed and starts putting his shirt on, and she's like, "Basically, can we have another go?" <laughs> and it's like, make your fucking mind up. Are you <laughs> are you ashamed, embarrassed, upset, delighted? You know, and it's just no thoughts really gone into the solitaire character beyond. Well, once look. you've done it, you might as well just get your money's worth. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's fine. That's fine. If it wasn't for two seconds earlier, uh, looking desolate over it. And like her life is ruined and she's going to be killed. Yeah, but, but anyway, you know, it's so Roger Moore. Go- He's a charming now- guy. <laughs> yes, we've now got an, es- an escape involving a bus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well- Sorry, go on. No, I, the only thing that I noticed about this is... Uh, Roger Moore did a lot of the driving for it. And I'm just saying, because he's a Bond that ended up doing, you know... He could do his own breathing in the later films, and that was about it. Did his own stunts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the idea of, like, you see something happen and it's still him is a you real were, surprise. Like I'm, sure he didn't drive un- I'm sure he didn't drive under that bridge, but he did a lot of the bus driving for this. Yeah, it's, it, it, again, it feels very, like, swinging 60s, like, the idea of, like, Bond escape on a, on a bus. <laughs> uh, or Cliff Richard in the back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, old Route Master bus. Uh, but yeah, this is like Bond escaping with Solitaire from the island. Uh, gets chased down by the island's own police. Um, but the plot's very thin from now on because apart from the reveal of Mr. Big, which we haven't had yet, and the final slow dipping mechanism that term comes from this film, uh, there isn't a lot more story to tell. So you've got an escape sequence now where it ends up him sort of destroying a bus. And then they get back, they fly back to New Orleans. Or is it Manhattan? Yeah, they fly back to yeah, New, New Orleans. Orleans. Yeah. And then you get this jokey comedy sequence, which is like an eight-eater of Roger Moore, where he's giving an old lady a flying lesson. Oh, that's brilliant. I like that scene. To escape Canangas. It's all right. but It's, it's pretty just, cheesy, but yeah. yeah. It's just I mean, we, we, we get to meet the cab driver again, which is like, hey, Jim. Hey, hello, Jim. Oh, that's he's a bad outfit. Oh, no, wrong film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 you go, you go and skydiving. You see, lucky <laughs> uh, day, Jim. Yeah, um, it's yeah. Basically, it takes solitaire, but uh, Bond manages to escape, and he, you know, he has to have a chase beaver like mm. on a plane grounded. <laughs> Let's just bring yeah. it today, shall we, Mrs. Bell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, 
But I just like the idea how he escaped from while, but while at the same time still parking up at the same spot that he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and the driver's still there on the phone going, I don't know where she. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's it is very it you know I mean it's a tease to what is to happen later on. Yeah, this, uh, we do we are getting early signs of where this series will go. Uh, yeah, epic boot chase, and it's okay for a, a two or three minute sequence. But yeah, and I, I, I love how. But it's Tom Mank. But it's not Roger Moore. This is Tom Mankiewicz. I, I think this sequence. I think it's got more to do with the fact that he's writing it. Than anything to do with tailoring it for Roger Moore. No, it's very much putting a stamp on that screenplay, isn't it? So, could you see Connery do this? No. Maybe no. in Diamonds, that kind of style, but no. But no. I think it's more the point we didn't see him do it. No. Do you know exactly. what I mean? Had he signed for this film, would this sequence have been there for him to do? I don't know. No, um, that's it. But yeah, it's, it's quite silly, isn't it? It's... I guess it's it, it's. This is, this all feels like padding to me. It, I mean, the overall film runs fairly nicely, but mm. we're into a whole series where the plot's almost finished. You know, there's not a lot more story to tell. We get the reveal of Mr. Big next, because they are uh, eventually sort of captured and all the rest of it. But, I mean, after that, it's just, it's just a run of action until credits. It is. I mean, like, Bond, basically, Bond escapes, he meets up with Felix. Felix has to deal with uh, the driving instructor, like, to get through to, like, an FDI agent over it. They said something about it being in intensive on. care. That yeah. woman's had a heart attack or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, she looks quite poorly by you know, the end of it. I'll be honest, I reckon she's milking it. She's, like, she's just pissed off. She's like, right, I want to sue everyone, you know, and, like, <laughs> you know. She spent uh, all that money for that flying lesson. She yeah, she she strikes me as someone with a stick up her ass. I don't know. That, that, that's all <laughs> I'm saying. Um, like, and then the, the, him and Felix go to uh, Philip Sol, where they're going to meet um, the the FBI friend who gets killed in the same manner as the agent did. That's it. Uh, and then is it an, <laughs> another evolving booth? Yeah. Well, this time, well, Bond like goes, oh no, well, I'm not gonna let's stop. Let's set the by the stage. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. So it goes down, doesn't it? it doesn't revolve. Yeah. It goes down. Yeah. That's yeah. It. The lady uh, that sings to him in the club was hired to sing the theme tune. Uh huh. Because it didn't occur to them when they hired Paul McCartney to write the song that he may want to sing it. So they hired her to sing it, and Paul's like, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna sing it. Yeah, that's interesting. So, though, so isn't they gave it? her a slot to sort of do this scene. But this could have been the version we got over the credits. No, it's a funky ah, scene. It's a funky song, though. So who who is she? Is she like a, a known artist, or 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 has basically Paul McCartney stolen her chance of stardom? Seems like it. Yeah. <laughs> is, it, um, oh. is it BJ Arno? Is her name? Hmm. Uh, what's what's? I can't remember her name. Is it BJ Arno? I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. That's very professional. <laughs> yeah, we don't really care. It was just a little anecdote. <laughs> okay, moving on. She's a fucking nobody, thanks to Paul McCartney. You, <laughs> you said it, not me. Uh, but yeah, she would have done a good job. I, you know, I kind of liked her rendition at the club. Anyway, um, yeah. So basically, Bond gets like sort of lowered down to see Mister Big yet again, mm. uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. He... And this scene does feel like a reprise. It just feels like exactly the same scene. Yeah, we've been here before. I mean, if you showed me a screenshot from one, it would take me a moment to realise which one I was watching. Yeah, it could be 
it's changeable really but yeah so james but james bond is basically saying i'm i will only tell kananga what i did with her yeah he's like right <laughs> right i'm gonna rip my face off and then you'll tell me yeah. Quite revealing. <laughs> I goes like. <laughs> then, I love some. I love these lines in this film. I, I know Tom Mankiewicz has the cheesy scripts, but I do think he has some brilliant lines. I, I what, what I love uh, Roger's like response where he goes like, "I only tell Kananga." So like, go, okay, fine. Kananga reveals himself. Now the question still stands: like, well, the gentleman never the tells. Gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, well, it's like Connery, as we as we discovered on the Goldfinger commentary. Oh, I fucked up. <laughs> yeah, literally. And Becca really fucking laughed at that. It was really <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's an okay scene. He's he's kind of fairly. I don't understand why they didn't torture him. To be quite honest with you. No, but I suppose yeah, threatening to cut off his his hands and whatever. You just think, oh dear. Mm. Start with pinky, then like move to more <laughs> vital areas. Yeah. But yeah, we see like Tiki as well. What do you reckon to him as a uh, as a henchman then with his metal arm? I think he's kind of underserved. I, yeah, it's very much of a deal. I don't think they give it. I mean, like the only real scene he gets is this, uh, and then like he, he, his only real scene of being a villain is the alligator bit where he's like, you know, talking Bond, and then it gets a reprise at the end with the. Yeah, and that train sequence is very short. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see much of him. Just I mean, <laughs> to be fair, I've spent, I'm going to spend the second half of this film complaining the action action sequences are too long and too baggy. So I mustn't complain about that. But yeah, for Teehee himself, we don't get an awful lot of him. But we do go to the Crocodile Farm next, which was inspired by Ross Kananga. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so again, rather than shoot Bond, they decide to take him to a, a Crocodile Farm. To have a, and to be basically that, that's the only type of farm they own, because when he says take him to the farm, mm. cuts to the next scene and he's bottle feeding a lamb. <laughs> Take him to the petting zoo. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but basically, like you know, uh, we'll skip the part where uh, Kanga reveals his plan mm. of of essentially world domination. Well, basically, this is like the first time that uh, Bond is up against a drug dealer. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and his goal is right. Well, I'm creating a specific uh, product of heroin. And I'm actually going to just give it out to the public for free. That will just like make me number one, and then drive everyone out out of. Plus, I'll get more people hooked. Yeah, and and then I will basically be one of the <laughs> basically have like one of the, the biggest uh, products. Like you know, and it it would be illegal. Obviously. There's no competition. But, he can charge yeah. whatever he wants. Then. Yeah. Yeah, because he said he had that. Was it the only people that would have a monopoly would be him and the phone company? Yeah. Yeah. Which, is, which is quite ambitious. You know, it's quite a hard-hitting storyline, isn't it, in terms of going against a drug dealer? Because I don't think we see that again until Sanchez, I guess. Yeah. I can't think of another one. No. But, yeah, it must, it must be a particularly, like, brand. Like, it must have, like, it, it's got to be that one. Well, he's very keen on protecting that field, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, um, that particular strain of poppy. I say that field. It's probably a bigger state rather than a field, but, yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> on whole island. But, I mean... <laughs> Like I say, in, in a problem with this, my only problems with this film are in certain details, you know, and and certain pacing things. Not that I think the film runs too long at all, but I think how it gets to that running time's a problem. 
but the general sort of tenets of the story I think are pretty are pretty solid. And again, they're trying something. I wouldn't say different. I, I, I said I said it. The Majesty's review that they've kind of stopped innovating really, but at least they've put a bit of a fresh spin on things. This, you know, if you if you saw this film and you thought you were going to get a Roger, run of Roger Moore films, I think you'd be kind of quite positive about that after this. Yeah, it's totally different to the others, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, I'd say so. So, yeah, I mean, we're quite happy here, but once again, I mean, it gets worse as the series goes on, but this, this crocodile farm sequence, <laughs> the phony works awesome because you can hear the slight movements of jaw. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can hear when they sort of go crunch and... Yeah, yeah just... you kind of have this little... Like, kind yeah, of, like, gargle. it's kind of unsettling. They, they sound hungry, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, yeah there's a scene, like, when he's kind of left on the on the island, isn't he? And then they're all kind of creeping up out of the water. Yeah. Just, that sort of noise. Like, but I'm can not hear, like... sure to this day how much I like the running across the backs of crocodiles. No. <laughs> it does strike me a little bit as... And again, at this stage, he's relatively young and fit. But it, it does strike me as the action sequence you write for a non-action sequence guy. Yeah, he does it quite easily, doesn't he? Kids, don't try this at home, also. But I, I, <laughs> I like the tease of the fact, oh, he's going to go, oh, he's going to use the magnets to get the boat over. Oh, it's tied. Damn it. Oh. It, won't, it won't work this time. What a shame. Um, I did like that, because at that point, at that point, if the, fil- if the projector had failed and someone had said, so what's it like then? And if they'd started talking about gadgets, you go, well, he was only given one gadget and it bloody failed. <laughs> we'll see it later well, on, don't you? Yeah, we do see it later on, but at this point, on. it's actually a bit of a fake-out. He's been given one gadget. You didn't see it? And actually, the attempt to use it goes wrong. Oh. I can't That's it. He has to kind yeah. of, you know, rely less on the gadgets and use more of his smarts and think, right, okay, how am I actually going to get mm. escape from this and obviously hop on the back of across the crocodiles? I, lo- I love Roger Moore's story that he wore crocodile leather shoes for a laugh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but they're really slippy underneath, so they had to put the stuntman in the same one. If you look at some the, some of the bonus features and stuff, and I, I don't think it's this time, I think I've seen it years ago, this this one take where the, a crocodile does catch his foot, oh, yeah. he slips right at the end. Yeah, I, I, I see that footage and I think, fucking hell, that must have killed because it, it probably catches his leg and his leg goes up. and mm. like, it looks yeah, so really, dangerous. It looks like it kind of twists as well. It's like, ah, oh, that's horrible. Yeah, I mean, nothing life-threatening, but you can imagine... You know, some sick leave after that, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need stuntman. a bit of recuperation afterwards. <laughs> it's like he, he must have sprained that. Must have. Sprained yeah, that's that. what I mean. If you're a stuntman, you probably can't do much for a few good few days afterwards. Yeah. But, um, the escape's okay, but on viewing this tonight, it leads into a sequence that I just think runs ludicrously too long. The whole boat sequence to this film. Well, there's a reason why it runs too long, and that's because they decided to uh, do uh, Cannonball Run, <laughs> like, like, like with it as well. You know, if mm. it, I very mean, divisive I, part of the film. This, I, I mean, I wasn't actually refer. We'll get to. We must talk about Sheriff Pepper, and yeah. we'll talk about him more next week because it's no spoiler to anyone listening. No, he comes back, he was he? popular with audiences out of this, and he comes back next. Well, next. He sure know. am, boy. But, I mean, <laughs> I before, mean, I mean, we even get to him as a character, and we must. I just think the whole sequence runs unbelievably long. 
Bond films are always somewhere near two hours. This film's like about two hours and one, something like that. And without running a few of these sequences too long, it, they could have got this. This could have been a hundred minute Bond film. This could easily have been the shortest Bond film. And I didn't really realise that until tonight. Yeah, it, it could have done. But I, I do agree. I mean, like, I, I do feel it much like like something that will happen in next week. They kind of do something daft that diminishes the action that's happening. I mean, like, as it stands, it's it's actually a pretty good boat boat chase. And it's always... And Living or Die has always been praised for having a really, really good boat chase. And I, but I feel it's kind of hampered because it decides to be smoking the bandit as well. It's, it's not. As, does, yeah. It, yeah, it's not as bad. I know what you're getting at. But it, next keep, week. it keeps cutting away. There is away. something very specific next week that we won't spoil if you haven't seen the film. <laughs> if you're watching along with us, which some, there might be one or two of you that are, when you watch it in the week, you'll know instantly what it was we were alluding to. Yeah, it's really There's obvious. nothing in this week's that's as bad. But it's all padding for comedy, and there just seemed to be a spell through the 70s and early 80s where the sort of comedy redneck sheriff was a thing. And it's a thing in Superman 2, which is also Tom Mankiewicz, or at least in its original conception it was Tom Mankiewicz. More on that when we cover Superman. Um, But I just... I don't find comedy fat guys with southern accents spitting and chewing tobacco constantly funny. That's a stereotype that's been done to death, really, isn't it? But Becca, you quite enjoy it. I just think it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, it's, I promise it's, I won't make fun of you. you though. Very racist. Why, what, and seriously, Becca, you know, without oh, making sorry, no, fun of you on. at all, what do you like about this? What What is it that's funny? What am I missing? No, I just think... I think that the concept of him, because he is obviously comedy, comic relief, as it were. I, but, I and it is incredibly racist. But I just, I just think it's. I, I think Rebecca's, like has has about this, and then in the same kind of way, I kind of feel it too. You kind of, you, when you've grown up with these films, you kind of grown up with this scene, yeah. and you kind of have a fondness for it, even though. If you look at it objectively, it is a bit naff and a bit racist. It's, yeah, and, very naff and, 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 and a bit dumb. But you kind of grew up with it as a kid, so you kind of have like a fond memory of it. So yeah, even, definitely. E- even on that level, you still kind of go, yeah. okay, well. Yeah. Um, but if I look at looking at this now objectively, this really like breaks up what is what would be like a tense speedboat chase. But it it kind of isn't because the focus seems to be more on this random sheriff they just like put in. It's like it's like I'm watching a Bond movie. Why am I why am I seeing like, why am I seeing him commandeering a vehicle, and why are we focusing him on him sat in the back of it with a big smile with his tongue poking out? Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's what's why that got him... to do with the plot? We only met you five minutes ago. Exactly. It's like when he uh, appears in Golden Gun as well. That's to say, I I must say I, you know, I don't sort of like him, but I have a fondness for him, as as you said, Chris. But it's like I, I don't like him. Sorry, <laughs> I don't like him less when it comes to the Man with Golden Gun because he he's more racist. And he's even more annoying. I think, again, as well, we're trying to... What we can't do is switch off the rest of our lives experience. And as much as... No. I'm, I'm sat here tonight saying about Roger in this film and Roger in Octopussy or A View to a Kill or Moonraker is seeping into the way I'm seeing things. Yeah, they but all kind of blend together, don't they? Fortunately, I'm aware of that and I'm spotting it. And I'm going, well, that's not too bad. 
But I think with this, like Chris says, Smokey and the Bandit, um, the Cannibal Run films. Exploitation uh, movies. Um, what's the other? Th- no, I'm talking about this whole sheriff trope. Oh yeah, the, yeah, yeah. They all um, see the Dukes of Hazard. That's the one. It yeah. was just a big thing for a period of time where you had to put a small town sheriff with a pot belly and a deep south accent, <laughs> who was just over officious but not very good at his job, and that was supposed to be hilarious. And I just think it's it's vaguely offensive in its yeah. way. It doesn't really suit this film because it's literally just been shoot, uh, shoot I know, and in because he's character again, I, I don't want to be too serious about it because it's only a bit of fun. But like for a large part of the audience going in in 1973, this is their like image of like Louisiana. Yeah, it's and it's quite just like it, it, once again it's painting the South as a bunch of insular twats. <laughs> um, I, I don't mind funny. I really don't, but this isn't that funny. No, but my biggest problem it? with this scene is not Sheriff Pepper. It's just how long it runs. Yeah, it's like it, if it, if it was just that one scene where he he kind of captures that that henchman and then Bond kind of like sort of jumps over and the henchman steals the car and that was it. It would no problem. Yeah, because it's just like this one would thing. Would be my but, favorite bit of the film, but no problem. No. Yeah. But, but you know, makes like, it longer by Joe W. being there. Yeah, and I, I, may, I may be like a little sort of note with about him st- like getting the, the the speedboat to catch up with Bond. You know, oh Billy Bob, oh Billy Bob's gonna get it. You know, oh god, <laughs> <laughs> oh here comes Billy Bob. <laughs> but I, 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 I do I'm sure like... there are people there who are called Billy Bob. I, I'm I, sure there are. I do. I do it's like just that a bit gag. Of a cliche now. I do like that gag though, where like they go, "Oh, here comes Billy Bob." He's up looking, and like, and all the other guys have seen this black guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, That's not Billy Bob. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I kind of like, uh, really? <laughs> and they were wise to say nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Uh, but but doesn't he sort of uh, see him later on? He goes, "Oh, that's not Billy Bob." <laughs> yeah. Um, but. <laughs> But, yeah, you know, it, hey, but it, it it's does. Not a, it's, it's not a deal breaker. Yeah. And when I no. think of this, when I think of the man with the golden gun, again, for those of you who haven't seen it or haven't seen it for a long time, we'll spoil nothing. But we will say Sheriff Pepper turns up again. And when I think of that film, I can't help but think of him. When I think of this film, I don't often think of Sheriff Pepper. He's still a, a very small part of my like overall view of this film. Mm. No, it's more prominent. I, my bigger problem gun. is it doesn't even have pacing problems as such, in as much as it's a two-hour film, and it's not like it finishes and I go, well, that felt like three hours. It actually carries its running time very well. Yeah, but past? the way it unfolds the story, you feel like it could have been a lot. It could have been a lot zippier. It could have been like yeah, felt like well, a, it really could snappier. The main tenets of the story <laughs> are all crammed into like the first two thirds of the film. Mm. Pretty much, yeah. But I mean, it's not a, it's not a terrible sequence. And again, the number of times I, w- I was noting that that's actually Roger Moore doing that bit, and um, you know, he he openly says he leaves it to the stuntmen. He's not a, a man of action, but at this point, he's pitching in, and I like that. And it's a much prettier film than last week as well. I mean, not only, I mean, I, again, another thing that made Becca laugh, the, the punching people by walking <laughs> vaguely in their direction. Well, again, it's the same director this week 
And I didn't really notice any of that. I didn't notice any examples of people speaking and their mouths didn't move. And all the sloppiness we had isn't there. And when I think of Live and Let Die, because it's a bit older than, obviously, his later films, I always think of it as a bit more washed out than it is. And when I watched it tonight, it, it's full of colour as well. Yeah, it's a very... It's, it's quite a handsome it's, film. Yeah, it's a colourful film, isn't it? It's, it's, oh, it's like a very colourful, poppy kind of film. It's very, you know, it's very zesty. It's like, mm. it's full of, like... it's It's got... It, it does feel like Bond on Dance Remix, if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, I get it. And even the score is. I mean, it's not yeah. It's not disco like it later becomes. I mean, oh, disco God. hasn't been invented at this point. But what I mean is, it's not offensively of its era, or at least of its era to a degree that it will date beyond you being able to listen to it. Yeah. No. But apart from the odd things, Ernie, Batman kind of finished to the odd music. <laughs> I think the score's excellent. And it was another thing that was... <clears throat> excuse me. It was another thing that was them trying to distance themselves from what's come before. They've gone, well, we need a different sound for a new bomb. Mm. And Definitely. I just think this was quite wise. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think George Martin did a good job as as a... As a composer, I mean, did he do any other films, or was this like his only? He didn't do any more Bond. No, I mean, I was just thinking that. I mean, if you said to me you can have him or John Barry to do a run of them, I'd choose John Barry. But yeah, sure. There's nothing wrong with changing it up now and again, and um, it 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 will be released before the time this one is. But I mean, I've got to say on on Chris's behalf because Chris always apologizes to us terribly. And there's absolutely no need. Chris at the moment is trying to work full-time and study full-time and appear on podcasts and everything else as well and edit ours. And it's a really difficult job. So by the time we get to this, you will have heard the music one, but it will have been a while before it came out. But obviously by the time you've heard this, you'll have been introduced by us if you haven't already heard him to Charlie Brigden. And Charlie, as I, I mentioned in, in that show or, and the show before, wrote an article about embracing change and I've really taken it on board with the Bond series. I, I'm now past wanting John Barry every time. And it's, I'm it's, quite it's, happy it's a nice sport. change of mix, you know, it's like you know, it's like having uh, Mike Conti for uh for you uh, for you, uh, uh Bill Conti, yeah for yeah for um, you only, uh, yeah, only, only. disco store. And uh, um And a lot of people hate that score because it's very disco -y. and and licensed no, to kill I'm, I'm as well. It's it, just but... a nice change or something, you know. Yeah, it's just there isn't, is there isn't a Roger Moore score I hate. No, obviously I'm not a big fan of the disco score, but I think well, I'll listen to it again and I'll read Charlie's article and I think I'll listen to it with fresh ears, if that makes sense. It's I'm sure we need appreciation. It's a lot of the Barry scores have a time. I mean, they're of their era, but they're timeless at the same time. Mm. Sure. If that makes any sense. And, and yeah, the definitely. score isn't that. But no, that's very I, much I, rooted I, in the I, 80s. I, but I would listen to it over Goldeneye every day of the week. Oh dear. I'm sure there are aspects of the Goldeneye score that are there are there's, there's a couple of nice <laughs> bits oh, yeah, I, 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 I think yeah I think think with the, the Bill Conti one you wouldn't necessarily listen to it on its own but in the context of a film it works fine it's like one of those things maybe like Sam Smith yeah maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> but yeah this, this action sequence just runs for such a long time that's all yeah, um, it, 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 it does. Nicely. I mean, it's quite a brutal end to it with him kind of setting him up, blowing him up. 
yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I always liked the end of it. Like, I really liked the whole thing. He, he basically just throws gasoline at the guy and just rams him right in the end of a big tanker and it, it explodes. It's. It, but I I've seen really this good. film in. I've seen this film in a double-digit number of times, and I didn't remember that bit. And I think that's a testament to how long this scene runs. That mm. I've started to zone out and do something else by then. Yeah, yeah so looking at your watch rather than fixing um, it. Yeah. But, but I, I, I the agree. The sequence is too long, but it has a nice payoff. Yeah, uh, but I, I agree. It, should, it, it needs less pepper. Mm. Yeah, it could do with the shortening by yeah. several it, it, five it, minutes it, or so. It, it, it could do with like less pepper that scene and like, yeah, like, chop and, out and, and focus on the actual speed. Feature, we, we we understand and we have to and me particularly because I'm, I'm the least fond of Roger Moore's Bond of the three of us certainly I but all of us to some degree have to make peace with the fact there are going to be a lot of side gags and all the rest of it in it yeah um, That so Chris is right to that regard that I think we can all make peace with the fact that we've got this silly deep south sheriff for that little one side gag where he tries to arrest someone and it goes wrong but that arguably should have been it. No, we have yeah. to sort of give it away, really, don't we? And... Mm. Yeah, but then we wouldn't have, like, secret agent! On whose side? That's what I love. It's, it's, it's just the, the way he speaks, and you've got the kind of... I'm now, not making now, fun now, of the now, accent, but it's just now, literally now, his intonations. Now, now, uh, now, JW, uh, <laughs> this guy's from England. He's a, a secret agent. Not uh, that secret, then. <laughs> no, clearly not. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> with our boys. Uh, it's just, <laughs> but when you're a kid, you just love that shit. It's, I don't know. It's it's weird. Uh, so... But hey, it, it's not a deal breaker. And yeah. he, even the way he gets away, because obviously, in that initial exchange, Pepper accidentally discharges his weapon and hits Bond's engine fuel line, whichever it is. Bond's uh, boat starts to slow down. He's being chased by people that we've been left in no... A bit like Sanchez. We've been in, left in no um, doubt that they will hurt you or kill you. Um, and whilst I'm, I do get annoyed with the... It's a bit of a comedy film bursting through somebody's wedding. Yeah, I that, do that's like the way he just gets himself off the, off the river and able to get someone else's boat. I, I kind of quite like that. Yeah. That's quite sweet. So, do, I like... Did anyone else not think about that that poor wedding? Not only did it have it ruined, but they had two poorly pissed off hitmen left there. <laughs> <laughs> stranded in that lake. Yeah, I mean, like I, I was, I was just waiting for like a, a offbeat news report, sort of like a wedding massacre. <laughs> but again, I'm thinking of Superman three, where the couple get like a holiday to Colombia, Bolivia, whatever it is, somewhere in South America, and that. I don't know if you remember the sequence, but that whole thing with changing the weather and they're down there in like misery. And I'm just thinking it's Tom Mankiewicz again. Having <laughs> said that, Tom Mankiewicz probably had nothing to do with Superman three. Yeah. Like, but it's push, just the tone that I ascribe push, to Pushing him. the, uh, the leaning tower Pisa straight like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah that was Tom Mankiewicz actually thinking about it. Yeah, that's it. the one. <laughs> that's but, um, yeah. I, I mean, but it, yeah, in, in general, what we've had so far it's a decent sequence it just runs too long yeah uh and then and then basically we get to the the climax of the film basically where like where bond felix and quarrel like go to the island to uh save solitaire and blow and blow up the poppy fields and i have to say and it will be a theme of mine i think because 
I, I said a few podcasts ago that I watched uh, Moonraker and managed to quite enjoy it. And one of the things I said was, it's not just slimming, it's aging as well. In that uh, they put... I, Roger Moore's too old by the time, time of Moonraker, really. But they make him look the part, and they dress him in quite a lot of black. And they do this for this sequence here. And it basically, if you haven't seen it, and you're listening to this podcast anyway, or you can't remember it, um, it's basically the outfit you see Daniel Craig in on the teaser Spectre poster. Yeah. yeah it's just him in black with the shoulder holster. Yeah, a black It's been a bit modernised and slimmed down, but it's effectively the same outfit. Yeah, like sort of turtleneck with the shoulder holster and all this. And stuff. I have to say, he looks the business in it. Yeah, it's a good. And I like the fact he's got a change of gun as well. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, it's not. It, 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 I don't know what it is, but he's got a big Took me massive. Out the film slightly. <laughs> I mean, I don't give a shit what gun he uses, but it was so dirty, Harry. It is. It's probably like his forty-four Magnum. I've done a bit know? of reading around this film. Was did they just think of Clint Eastwood when they wrote this? <laughs> Probably, I mean, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe just thought like, oh, maybe you just give him like a different gun just to sort of jazz up a little bit, and it's just mm-hmm. nice. I don't know. It's like, it's like, it's it's like complete opposite to the to the Wolf of PPK. You know, it's it's, it's not a deal breaker, is no. it? It's fine. No. It's a gun, but uh, yeah, it's trivia. It, it's fine. But anyway, uh, so he saves Salter from the snake guy. Um. It's basically what's well, like he's a... about to save her, and then Baron Samadine makes yeah. the appearance, sort of. Yeah, it's very weird as well, isn't it? Because you see the top of his head blown off, and then his eyes it's roll back. Him. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Hmm, I suppose. I mean, uh, uh, somebody else said this on a podcast years ago about Bond. So um, it, this isn't original, but they said it shouldn't it doesn't have to make sense because he's an illusionist. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Yeah. And I thought, well, okay. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so he, he shoots the snake guy, uh, saves Solitaire, then the real Baron Sandry shows up, and, like, and then you think, oh, Bond and Sandry are going to get in a fight, and then... That's it, about five it, seconds. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. the easiest fight, like, I think Roger Moore has ever got himself into. <laughs> Cause yeah, and it... I know he's not been established as, like, a kung fu expert or something. <laughs> But at the same time, Baron Samadhi is quite a big, chunky guy. Yeah, it's quite physically it imposing, isn't he? Beyond the, I mean, if that had been, well, obviously with a Daniel Craig film, but I think almost any other Bond, they'd have written a, a fist fight there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Of some description. But it was a knife fight that lends to him punching him in the gut and then throwing him straight into that casket. Of snakes, he's like, ah, ah, oh. Oh, yeah, bitten to death. <laughs> it's like, oh, was that it? <laughs> It's just a bit uh, disappointing. Yeah. But again, it's almost like bits of this film need shortening, bits of it need lengthening. They've wasted the runtime on some of the wrong things. Mm. But again, once again, it's not a deal breaker. This is the only bit of the film that looks a bit cheap. Uh, just talking about budget for a minute, the budget's dropped again. Um, we uh, where was the series high? It's you only live twice as the series high at nine and a half million dollars. Wow, we're down to seven million this week. Six years later, we were at seven point two for the last Connery. We were at eight for the Lazenby film. We're at seven million now, and by and large, it doesn't matter. I think I think they make it work fine, 
But um, you wouldn't really know because there's quite a lot happening on screen anyway. I think so. Yeah, with the locations I, I and the costumes. It, and... it looks pricier than diamonds. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, but definitely. This is the one sequence that looks really sound stagey. Every time you have this sort of snake bit in San Monique, it, it looks very Pinewood Studios to yeah, me. Yeah, you could have it on the back lot somewhere. But, yeah, that, that's not a deal breaker. No. But again, it's another thing, funnily enough, we, we talk, I keep likening him to Sanchez, not in, not in style, but in some of the ideas behind the, the villain. He's a ladies, ladies man. Almost. Well, we're just talking about San Monique being fictional. Sa- uh, Sanchez was the other example where we had that was Isthmus City. Yeah, it's also not real. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, that's so, important, so but... he kills he kills him off really really easily, and he then runs onto the, he seems to run onto the set of You Only Live Twice, <laughs> albeit with a water feature built in. <laughs> yeah, with a waterfall. <laughs> well, it's just kind of uh, yeah, it's kind of like a little hidden cave office place mm. but um yeah but the, and he's Karamanga's um Karamanga 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 <laughs> is uh oh it's because it's Karamak yeah it's <laughs> yeah it's because he's got Scaramanga coming up so I kind of want to Cart door yeah Cart door <laughs> little tray man um <laughs> uh, magic no we'll yeah. stop there oh back <laughs> You didn't realise um, what you said till it was out of your mouth. Though. You oh, crap! It's a chocolate, you went black magic, went, oh, fuck! <laughs> We're leaving that in. We're leaving that in. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Becca's like, oh, no! Becca, no one's going to hear that and think you were racist. Don't worry about it. And also, we're past the early episodes where you just said cut that every five seconds and it doesn't get cut anyway. <laughs> just accept it. You accidentally said the wrong thing. Die of mortifyingness. Oh. <laughs> it's not racist. You were just naming chocolates and then you I said was. that and went, oh, hang on a minute. This is a But, but the more Dave says it's not racist, the more racist it becomes. <laughs> well, I'm not racist, but you should have said that. Anyway, let's move on. Um, so, uh, yeah, what we want. Yeah, so basically he, like, this is where like they meet uh, Kamanga again and he's on full on charm. He's like, oh, come in, Mr. Bond. Let's join in the, like, like there's a big countdown to something. And there there's going to be really... a Hugo Drax air off him. Yeah. And uh, he's, you know, he's like, oh, this is, I find this fascinating. What is this? What is this gun? He's like, uh, and he kind of uses it on Whisper on the couch he's sitting on. He's <laughs> kind of like, but he's just, he's just a completely different character to what he's been previously. It's is really it weird. There's a playful. Yeah, anything but playful, and he wouldn't be at this point because his plan is starting to go to shit. Yeah, um, but but apparently that doesn't matter. It's like oh, it's a minor inconvenience. It's like okay, is it really? Because I just blew up your poppy field, which is <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's like not, it's not a deal breaker, is it? No, but it's I, I, I think... your catchphrase. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a deal breaker. We'll get to it. Um, <laughs> But I, I think I don't mind it because this is where we start to really enjoy him as a villain, and in in, in kind of like in some extent he's you know he's 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 having fun, and I kind of like it where villains don't give a shit and they just kind of like it, like enjoy fucking with Bond in a kind of weird in a weird sort of way. Um, yeah, so he kind of. He ties up uh, Bond and Solitaire to the slow dipping ne- mechanism to feed into sharks. 
which I think... every time from now on we talk about slow dipping mechanism, which is shorthand for um, putting Bond in a situation to kill him that's long-winded unnecessarily when you could just shoot him for the plot reason that we have to have Bond escape. It's like that Austin term Powers, is overly... this film. That's like overly elaborate. Oh, I can't even say what does he say. Overly, overly elaborate, elaborate, easily. Easy exotic death. That's yeah. it. This this film is where that dipping mechanism is. It's so long winded. Tie them up, cut them on the arm, and then hoist them up over some water. Mm. Well, essentially, the idea is like I'm just going to feed you to sharks, basically, mm. and it is pretty brutal to some extent because he basically cu- cuts him to kind of get them hungry and get like you know. Yeah. Um, so, but ha- but Bond escaped because he used to, he, this is where he uses his magnet to pick up like the bullet left on the uh, on the, yeah, on the you, table. Yeah, you expect an aircraft carrier to come flying through the window from, <laughs> yeah. from somewhere out in the middle of the Pacific, but yeah. <laughs> but are they, are they ladies' dresses? Hmm? Yeah, it works from hell of a distance. But the fact is, it is set off. It's pretty effective setup and payoff. We've had this watch set up. We've seen it fail once, and now it, it, it works. Oh, it's a magnet, of course. Yeah. And so how, how does he get free from the ropes? I can't remember now. There's a little saw in it as well, isn't there? Oh, right. So that's a new gadget we didn't even know about. No, we didn't. That's not so good because it's a bit like, you know, you show a gun in the first act, you have to fire it in the third. That should have been trailed a bit more. Yeah. Um, and in fact, tonight, I mean, I had noticed it before, but we're going through an awful lot of Bond films here, and you know, you do forget certain things. All of a sudden, he was free, and I, I'd looked away in that period, you know, or whatever. Yeah. I had to rewind it, and it's like, oh, it's a little sore. So yeah. that's not necessarily the best way to escape, <laughs> in terms of the way the plot set that watch up. Yeah. But hey. But anyway, yeah. So he he uh, he breaks free. Uh, he has a fight. Uh, Kamanga gets all like jazzy with a knife. He pulls a knife. and goes like, "You're gonna go all kind of weird on you." Like he's like he does like a weird sort of like dance fighting style with a knife. Yeah, but, it's very odd. Uh, yeah, and then but it, it doesn't really work because they just both go in the water and it's like, "Oh shit, there's a shark!" And he puts a pellet in his mouth and he inflates. Oh, <laughs> like a balloon. I think the choreography actually of fights is pretty lazy from Diamonds right the way. Well, for a long time, I'm trying to remember. We'll we'll get to them. I mean, we're doing all the Roger Moore films over the next few weeks anyway. And I'm sure there were some decent fistfights in this run. There must have been. But Diamonds didn't didn't choreograph its fights very well with the exception of The Elevator. Yeah. And this film hasn't either. It's not terrible. It's just very perfunctory. See, wouldn't it be better if... Like he didn't actually sort of float up like a balloon, and he just like heard his like kind of like pop in the water with like in red. Wouldn't that have been better? Ooh, very tasteless. Well, you say tasteless, Becca, and I, I'm not gonna argue that. But what we saw was so bad. <laughs> yeah, that was cringe. I think anything must be better than that. I think. I mean, the basic idea <laughs> is that like, is that do we? I'm trying to remember if we even hear that gadget trailed earlier on. Do we get told about that gadget? We do, because I knew what it was, but I can't remember where. Yeah. But for whatever reason, that is a gadget that's basically compressed air. 
I don't know why that works in the size of something the size of Oh, it's a shotgun, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it will basically blow you up. But they don't have the technology to do the effect. I'm not going to ridicule it too hard. No. It doesn't ruin the film for me particularly. It does look quite cheap, I just though. think it doesn't look very good. And you think, well, you clearly couldn't do that, so what are your other options? And you think, well, when you think back to Majesties and the he had lots of guts bit. Oh, Jesus. He goes into some sort of thing. You don't see anything except some red coming out. Well, if that got past the censors in 1969, I'm sure Chris's idea of let's just see some blood in the water. Yeah, we're going to be And that probably would have been a better idea. <laughs> I mean, Once again, I, Jane I, Seymour needn't even be there. She's I totally mean, nothing in this scene. I mean, you could, you could kind of just skip the whole idea about the bullet anyway. And just like, they fall in the water and then sharks come in, Bond kind of like knocks uh Kamanga it, it like uh, like into the way the shark the shark gets Kamanga as Bond like sort of climbs climbs out and you just the problem is and, and, you... and then Moore says something like Bon Appetit or something like that. Or, you know, yeah, another witty line. Well the problem is you've tr- you've been able through the way the watch was given to him to trail the magnet. Oh you've yeah, been able yeah. to do that because yeah, basically true. cup of tea. Um and the, the basically M has a cup of tea and there's a um, spoon on his saucer Bond can call that over and you're like oh it's a magnet I don't know how in that situation you trail a saw basically it was almost like they didn't it, have it, the it, could have, it, it could have been a knife you could have like gone like yeah and then you wouldn't have yeah what I'm saying is they would have needed to have been a complete rewrite for what we've been told I would have been happier if he'd ex- if he'd managed to escape that situation and there'd been a bit more of a traditional fight. Yeah. But what we're left with is one of the ropiest effects in the series. Um, It's knocked off the Hall of Fame by the entirety of Die Another Day. Oh. Uh, In terms of its effects, anyway. I mean, there's there's nothing... I'm not offended by this. It's just not very good. (laughs) And I, I just wish they found another way. It, it it it's kind of like another cheap laugh, isn't it? It's like it's it's something oh, that's ridiculous. You know? I don't think it, it's meant it, to. It, it, it's it's like it, it, it it's like um, Mr. Wind going woo. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> it, you know, it, it's yeah, it's just another campy thing. Um, I'm trying I'm trying to think of another example, but I don't think we quite get it. Uh, I think this is probably no. I think this is probably like the the last time this kind of thing happens, with like to the main villain at the end. I think. Yeah, it, it's. I'm trying to think of another one. If we when we get, I think the fact is we we'll, we we'll deal with it if and when we get to it because mm. we can't remember off the top of our heads. But if we get to like another really really silly villain villain exit, we'll obviously point it out. Um, no, I think it's probably got yeah the silly. I don't think there's anything quite this silly. But I have to say, Brad Whitaker's he met his Waterloo's a bit lame. I think the line is a little bit like, Mrr. even though it's Dalton, you still think, Mrr. well, it grates for me anyway. Yeah, but he can't deliver lines. No, that's the thing. He's very serious. Brilliant Mrr. Bond, but don't give him humour. There's no point. No, you can see you can see Roger doing it, but Tim, not so much. 
fucking picture all of them, almost <laughs> doing it. But... It's like very punctual. Like you imagine Waterloo. It's like oh okay. yeah. Yeah, again, all of this is kind of quick though. His final thing with the villain, it, it's over quite quickly, and they get a train. Yeah, again, this is this comes like quite a common thing, like a, a recap of a villain turning up at the end and for Bond to fight. Well, the henchman we'd almost forgotten. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about it. Yeah, this kind of this happens a few times in the series. Uh, I I think anyway. Um, Come back for one last scare. Well, it, well, let's think. I mean, it, there's a, it's happened a few times already. Um, well, it certainly happens next week. Yes. Uh, let's let. It kind of happens in Goldfinger, though. It happens. It is... in, no, it happens in From Russia with Love. Because we almost yes. gotten Rosa, Rosa Klebb and she comes. Uh, it it kind of happens in Goldfinger, but it, it it is actually Goldfinger himself. Yeah, I wouldn't count that really, but, but I see what you mean. It's it's kind of like the same setup though, isn't it? it really. Um, mm. uh, it happens in Diamonds with Winton Kid because uh, he's beaten the villain. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, and they pop at the end. Happens this week. Happens next week. So that's already like four or five times. Uh, I think he, I was. The other example is uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. So it's like the, the henchman safe last, safe for last. Yeah, yeah, stampers afterwards. It's oh, yeah, stamper, a because yeah. it's all part of the same yeah. sequence. But yeah, you get that. Uh, uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, there, there's a few. We just. I suppose technically, um, the world is not enough. Reynard is not the villain, he's the henchman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, safe for safe. But yeah, in terms of where you think you've, you've almost forgotten, and it's oh, he's one. Yeah. Um, probably not quite so much. But to this point, yeah, it's happened a few times, and it happens next week as well. It does. Um, huh. So. So we go to a train sequence, and yeah. I've watched um, both of these train sequences in a. I just, I just love the idea that T he's actually just hiding in a mill. Like, like that must have been like a really rough time for him. He's <laughs> getting like sort of just chucked about in a in in, in just like in a bag. <laughs> well, I'm a bit concerned about you know, how much postage did they have to pay? <laughs> oh no! I mean, I'm just imagining him at a post office counter, sat on that tiny scale. <laughs> and he and he must have, and he must have killed that train staff as well. There's like at least like a couple of guys like yes yeah definitely he must at least kill them yeah like, um, but that's never established but yeah so T he like sort of tracks one down on the train and they have a basically a fist like a, basically like a, a claw fight <laughs> I was gonna say fist yeah, fight yeah Bob is trying to teach a gin rummy yeah. Which is kind of like, oh, I'll teach you cards. Look, these are <laughs> these are different cards. Yeah. Yeah, different card game. They could have been playing top trumps. Yeah, but <laughs> but it, it, didn't she prove herself actually to be winning as well? She actually beats Bond. <laughs> or am I yeah, misremembering? Yeah, she yes, yeah. because it's like unco- unlucky in cards. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> and and Bond goes like, oh well. Oh well, whatever. And then it's like, right, well, let's get some sleep then. <laughs> no, no romance. It's just unlucky in cards, lucky in love. I think. It's dot, dot, dot. Yeah. yeah, it's basically well, just have some sex now. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> which uh, is which is really alluring, and most women respond to that. They beat you at cards, and you just go less fuck. Mm. But we don't get a chance to because, as we said, he returns. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, T he returns. Basically, oh, I do hear T. I do hear TV a lot in that scenario. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, and uh, Solitaire gets like locked in a in a bed. Just she's <laughs> such a she's just such a nothing character. I mean, the next time we see anything like this is the spy who loved me, and you've got and you're a massive. Yeah, but the same, uh, you, know, you know what? The same thing fucking happens there. Yes, it does, but we but, at yeah. least half give a shit. Do you do you remotely really care what happens to Solitaire? Well, mm. yeah, she survives. That's the main thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying you want anything bad to happen. I know she made any without, impression without, on you us. Without giving spoilers, I probably would inspire of me, but I don't think she's Barbara Back is actually quite good in that film. Sorry, you don't or do? I, I don't think she's particularly great, and I don't think a no, character. No, I don't actually. And I, and I don't think a character a bit, is well served. I mean, she's quite attractive. That's part of it. But I have to say, a lot of it is the character in the writing. Mm. And it gets past her limitations. She's not a particularly good actress. But I, I'm I'm kind of invested in what the film has given me of her and her and Bond at that point. Yeah. Whereas with this, I've got nothing against Jane Seymour, but they, they've just cast... They've just cast something so... Well... Bad. I mean, like, let's face it, would it be believable if she did get involved in the fight anyway? It just wouldn't not be asking, like... No, 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 that's not my problem. My problem is not that she's shut away. My problem is that we're in any way supposed to care. Yeah. I, I'm not interested in Solitaire at all. This film has just given us... It, it's, a, it's a bit like Domino, but it's also a bit like Honey Rider. We've been given, basically... You know the term sort of man-child, where this is a woman-child? Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, she's a bit just, she's just basically like a bit naive and a bit more... Like, she's, oh. she's not yeah. remotely close to adulthood, even though she's in her 20s. Mm. No, she's still very kind of virginal and very naive. and Yeah. But anyway, so she gets locked away. Bond has a, a brief fight with T. He's quite quick. Uh, he uses... Claw, he's using his claw against his face and he's like going, hey, 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 <laughs> hey, hey. And, you know, a bong uses his, uh, his tweezers or whatever to kind of like, <laughs> to kind of like, you know, make, make his I'm claw used to lock. Women, I'm used to women particularly having a, um, like a makeup bag or a grooming bag or something with tweezers in it or something like that. Never seen a woman with a grooming suitcase. No, she has a lot of. I, actually, I always. <laughs> that was a fucking huge thing. That I, I always assume... like tweezers and pliers and. I it's always a prerogative, you know, to take lots of luggage, you know. I always assumed that was Rogers, I, you know, because he's so well groomed. <laughs> no, it's all for the hairspray. No, yeah, he, he's got a few a case full of Falcon or Cossack <laughs> hairspray. That's that's all he needs. <laughs> and, and and condoms. <laughs> no, he doesn't need those. He doesn't wear condoms. No, they just turn to gold anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so yeah, he, he does the whole thing where he chucks uh, tea out the window. Uh, this is the seventies. This isn't. He wouldn't turn women gold. This yeah. is the era of the Bay City Rollers. He fuck them and they turn tartan. <laughs> you said the busy world is in a whole new light. Oh god. Anyway, 
<laughs> right, um, I think he goes out the window. Yeah. Uh, and, on. You know, yeah. I'd like. I'd, I've always got this impression that being chucked out of a a window of a, of a train, it necessarily means you're, you're dead. Like oh, yeah, I've seen that before in the Bond, you know, before in the Bond movie. Yeah, so I mean, know. I, I don't know. I don't know why I always, I always just picture like it just gets chucked on like a, a little ditch for fields. You know, I mean, sure, mm. it would it would hurt, but would it kill you? We don't know. No, it depends where you I mean, land and how you yeah. land. I guess. I mean, you. I, I don't know. I mean, if I was in, it, it's got to be analogous to falling out of a car. Probably slightly worse because you fall from higher. But if you think about driving in a car, if I was driving along somewhere near a school, trying to trying to stick somewhere close to twenty mile an hour because that's the speed limit, and I fell out of the car, I'd probably bruise and scrape myself. Hmm. If I was on the motorway doing like eighty or something and I fell out of the car, maybe it would kill me. I don't know. Yeah, and also it's also movie logic as well. You have to like lend yourself to, in it. It's um, yeah, what, what the the real world isn't. Yeah, selfish. it's basically if you're not it's decapitated like, or shot in the brain. Yeah, chance. Yeah, there's yeah there is like a possibility. It's like oh, you got shot like in the stomach or you got shot shot in the shoulder. Mm. You know, in reality, you probably could die from that. In fact, if you get shot in the stomach, you will actually die. But in in, in movie logic, it's like oh, there's yeah, a chance the he might pull through. Area. It's like when you're shot in the arm. Well. With yeah. all the damage through muscles and bones and nerves, that arm may never work properly again, even mm. if you survive. Yeah. But, but in, in most action movies, it's like, oh, it's past yeah, but it's like It's like <laughs> yeah. silence pistols. It's the rule of film. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It just felt... But then again, it's just like, I guess we have to just... It's the end of the film. We have to just assume that he's dead. And then and then it it ends randomly. We see Baron Samadhi back... On the just, front of the train. Yeah, on the front of the train, laughing manically. I thought that. I just thought that was a film trying to be too clever. There's a nice touch, though, as you said I don't think, earlier. I, yeah, he's an illusionist. It's just a touch. Sorry, Becca. No, I was going to say, as you said earlier, um, he's an illusionist. So it kind of. You don't know if he's alive or dead or if he's come back. You know, is he's actually more, undead. <laughs> is, it, is it more symbolic? You know, I mean, I, I think it's more. Like, I think it's just there to add to the mystique of the, all the voodoo stuff and all the. You know, the. Yeah, the, the supernatural elements it's kind of like adds a little bit more intrigue to it yeah definitely definitely it, yeah as to the supernatural elements kind of like death and rebirth and things yeah. like that so and it, and, it, and it is like a memorable ending to end on you know so yeah it, it sticks in the mind yeah definitely uh, so so there we have it yeah mm-hmm. there we are there's our first Roger entry. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, uh, did we enjoy it? What do you think? Oh, definitely. I definitely, I definitely enjoyed watching it. Um, it's it's a good fun watch. You know, I think it, I think it's one of Moore's better films. Uh, I think we will see. There, well, there aren't many as good as Live and Let Die. I mean, there's only like maybe a a, hand, like a couple. Uh, and even there, they are debatable depending on your tastes. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, yeah, I think this is one of uh, Roger's best. I think. Dave, what do you reckon? I've never seen anyone rank this right at the bottom. I mean, I will say that. I mean, we'll talk about *License to Kill* and *For Your Eyes Only* and other films that we like, or you know, even *The Living Daylights* that some people just really don't get on with, and. 
Live and Let Die is a, a, a good quality film. Roger Moore may not be your taste. He's not really mine. I mean, I've talked about that before. But this is a really solid debut. I don't think it breaks any new ground, but it does it does kind of slightly new twists on old tricks. It does kind of, you know, just makes him enough different from what we've seen. I've often thought, as somebody who isn't a Roger Moore fan, what? how would I feel if it was like 1973 now and I knew what was coming? You know, as a Bond fan, you think, well, 12 years of someone I don't really like that much. Well, obviously that couldn't happen, you know, in terms of knowing what was coming. I have to say, if I'd walked out of this and someone said he's going to be Bond for a while, I think I'd be really quite happy. We can't keep seeing... I mean, Connery ran himself into the ground as Bond. Um, it needed slightly freshening up. And I think this is a really positive film. The problems I have are partly to do, to do with the fact that I know what's coming with him. So when I hear him talk to a woman, it always sounds sleazier than perhaps it is in this film. It's got one or two goofy moments, which is a precursor of what's coming. And I think that the story finishes a long way before the film does. And that's a problem, but it doesn't have the associated pacing problem. This film doesn't have any pacing problems at all. You, you, you know, you might think, well, that scene needs cutting there, but you're not really bored. You just, well, why did they run it that long? <laughs> yeah. I, th yeah I think this is a very positive first go for Roger Moore. I think Guy Hamilton has redeemed himself after his previous attempt. I still don't like, I still don't think Tom Mankiewicz fits the Bond series at all. But I think this is very, very positive. I think it has negative um, connotations for what's coming in terms of the humour, but also its portrayal of women is really, even by Bond film standards, a step backwards from where we've been. Only two films ago we had Tracy. Even in the last and, film. and it's about to get worse. Uh, and in the next yeah. film, we had <laughs> Tiffany Case, who I really don't like. Eee. But in the first third of that film, <laughs> she Sorry. is pretty sort of um, uh, self-reliant, let's put it that way. And we get an agent in this film who wouldn't graduate primary school, let alone anything <laughs> else. She is absolutely abysmally written and acted. Oh, and the lead Bond girl is naive to the point of coming off as childlike I, as well. I, I don't think she's badly acted. It's, I, just, it, yeah. it, I, I, it's, it's like the character she's given. It's she's just, more, I do woman, think she? she's badly acted. And, and but I probably have to say, directed. No, I, I have to be fair there, Chris. Uh, I do think she's badly acted. But at the same point, how could she have been any better with what she was given? Yeah. Is there any scope for a better performance there? I'm not sure. But let's be positive here. What we've got is uh, a reasonably good-looking film with, I think, an excellent debut from, from Roger Moore here. He's not my Bond, never has been. He looks the part. He's very good in it. It's a decent story. They've tried to add some complexity to the plot. They've tried to take him places he nev he's never been before. And if I walked out of this in 1973, I'd be happy. Good, sol good solid Bond film. I've enjoyed this. That sounds about right. So you, you concur, Becca, then? I agree. No, definitely, yeah. It's a good, solid debut. Um, and, if, I mean, obviously, Roger Moore isn't my era, um, but it's one of my favourite Bonds, so a bit of soft spot. But as I say, like, you know, growing up, having watched these films, you do develop, like, a fondness for them. 
Um, and yeah, it's definitely a very tonal shift from kind of the hard-edged um, Connery films. So this is definitely kind of what the uh, what was just what was needed to reboot the series in the seventies. A breath so, yeah. of fresh air. Yes, I agree, Chris. Definitely. I think as well. I mean, Connery's performance. I mean, a lot of people say Diamonds is a is a Roger film. Well, they're kind of right in that it's a bit silly and goofy and all the rest of it. But as I said at the time, the portrayal of Bond, I thought Sean Connery came off as a total misanthrope. He came off as someone who's not enjoying life, not enjoying being there, and and he plays it like an elderly veteran. I, I just don't like anything about him in the role. We've now got a guy who looks unflappable and keen, and that's just gold at this moment. This is a series that could have easily died around now. And just before we, we, we sort of get into our sign-offs, I, I often talk about box office. Um, this has actually done a little bit worse in the United States than Diamonds. Diamonds did about 43, 44. This did about 35. But overall, worldwide take. Diamonds did 116. This does 162. Wow. That is a huge jump. So worldwide, the series has been invigorated. And I think... It's it's facing the seventies in really rude health at this point. It's just the the shot in the arm that it needed, really. Yeah, well, I think I think it was a, a brush of fresh air that spoke to the audience as well. I think also that 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 helps. You know, it's uh, it, it it it's it, I imagine it would have been a bit of a gamble to kind of like change like after all these years, but I think you need they needed to rejuvenate, and I think you know mm. Roger Moore was a change, but he's also like was a, a spark of fun, and it was like a like a injection of a new energy and it just felt like oh this is like a new thing um and i think it just worked i think it just paid you off you can't I think... fully slag him can you chris because even if you didn't like him just think about the fact that at the moment lazenby's not exactly a connery look-alike but he's close enough he had his hair cut the same way he had the same suits it's play even more a kilt, which we've talked about at the time. <laughs> yeah, we discussed but that already. <laughs> Roger Moore, I mean, if you were recasting, let's say, Indiana Jones, I know that it's a bit different because the the outfit is more iconic than any uniform with Bond. But you wouldn't cast somebody as different from Harrison Ford as Roger Moore is from Connery. Connery. Yeah, that's it. So exactly. this is it's incredibly like... brave and... I did say in the intro when I wasn't being particularly kind about Roger Moore, I'd say some nice things about him. And one of the nice things I, I would say is that this is an incredibly brave performance. Because it's largely comedic, or his run is largely comedic, we, we dismiss it because uh, he just plays it for laughs. But after what's come before, we haven't had six Bonds at this point. We've had two and one's been completely forgotten. So we've effectively had one Bond at this point. And he's gone in and done something totally, totally different with it. No, that's very brave. Incredibly brave. Like people complained yeah. about Daniel Craig being cast, like Bond, Bond, what are you on about? It's like, yeah. well, you know, Roger Moore is obviously a very handsome chap, but it doesn't exactly fit Fleming's description. So not at all. And people look at you might enjoy Brosnan more, and I, I said this in one of the earlier episodes as well. You might like Pierce Brosnan more, for example, because he's fitter, better looking, whatever you might think, depending on who you are as the viewer. But Roger Moore broke that ground. Yeah, definitely broke that new ground. I think I think Roger had the uh, the strength of the saint. I think with uh, with viewers, you know, that was a popular show. He was playing like a similar sort of 
spy kind of espionage guy. Um, Definitely, and, and Ivanhoe as well, the kind of gung-ho action yeah, What I don't know is where those shows were popular, though. Yeah, it depends really, doesn't it? Because we're talking about The Saint. Where was The Saint big? I mean, it might have been. The answer to that, by the way, might be everywhere. I don't know. But I have to assume, as a huge franchise, Bond had to open in markets that Roger Moore wasn't known. What, and also, what kind of amazes me is um, there was like a. In one of the Bond anthologies, someone did a, like, a caricature of what is described in the Fleming books, and what it, they actually pulled out was looked like a, a remarkably rough and rugged version of uh, Moore. It was it, not like rather than like someone looks a bit more like Connery or anything like that. It was actually it looked like in that kind of sort of like longer sort of face and that kind of similar sort of hair with like kind of similar sort of features that are a bit more sharp and a bit more like a little bit more crooked you know it's not like a less handsome version of Roger Moore but it looked more Roger Moore than any of the Bonds so you, you can kind of I, say that I don't that... really have a problem that they cast him yeah it's just like I don't, out, out of all the I mean the thing is he played it until he was too old and obviously as Bond as Bonds go along we've seen this with Daniel Craig as they get more popular, or at least they get more established in the role, they get a bit more say, and they start getting... I mean, I'm not saying they can write scripts and choose directors. That depends on the actor. But they can at least have some input into how they're portrayed. And there's no doubt, as it goes along, Roger Moore pushes it in more and more and more of a goofy direction. And it, it doesn't work. I, I don't care that he might be lighter and not really big no. in action. It doesn't work. But at this point, yes, I think he's a little bit too old for a first-time Bond. But this slightly suaver, less quick-to-action version of the character is perfectly valid. And it's really brave as well. I mean, you're following... You, I mean, all right, they're going to write him a nice big check for this. But if you're Roger Moore and you are followed, remember how big this series was when uh, Goldfinger and Thunderball came out. Remember how it was the biggest film series of all time at one point. And only a handful of years later, you got a sign on the dotted line to do this. When the only person who tried to do that before was one and out. And you don't go in with your hair dyed brown going, you know, Bond, James Bond. (laughs) You've actually gone in and done your portrayal of it. I think Roger Moore, whatever you think of him, was incredibly brave to go in and do it this way. Amen to that, I think. Good old Rog. And, (laughs) you know what, he still flies the the flag for Bond as well. Well, isn't that wonderful? He's 88, he should be just at home relaxing. And he goes all over the country promoting this series. And basically, I mean, I'm not sure I agree with him, but I mean, he said that Spectre was the best Bond film he'd ever seen. Well, whether he believes that or not, even to say it is like... Didn't he say that with all... Like, last time, didn't he say that when Skyfall came oh, out? Oh, he I don't probably know. thinks they're getting better all the time. He loves it, <laughs> Craven. I do... Yeah, it's, 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 it's one of them like, I'll oh, just, just say it, Roger. Just no, I know, it. but I do genuinely believe he thinks Daniel Craig's a bit special. Yeah, um, he places a lot of faith in him. Well, having said that, so. I saw him a couple of weeks ago. 
he was talking about when he was approached and he said then Lazenby, George Lazenby did one. And he said, then he said Roger came back to do one of the best of all the Bond films. Uh-huh. Diamonds Are Forever. Um, oh. <laughs> so, I think you were like, really? Why <laughs> yeah, like, really? Like, <laughs> it's more him, you know? But the, the end result is I think Roger Moore was... What he's slowly doing to me is joining the pack. Okay. You know, we've, we've got six James Bonds, and there's been all of them, and then miles away from that, Roger Moore. And he is coming to join the pack. Where, wherever I might end up ranking him, I'm starting to like actually kind of enjoy his run because I've seen a few of them now. We are watching this fresh. I haven't seen any for a while. Um, and tonight's been a good start, and I'm, I'm actually looking forward to next week when we come full circle because the film we cover next week is the first Bond film I ever saw. Oh, oh. that'd be lovely. Oh, mementos. Mm. On that oh. Night... oh, no, carry on. <laughs> I was just, just going to say, I wish I could remember the first Bond film I actually saw, but, you know, it's all just a vague memory for me. No, I think it was either probably Spy of Me or V2 Kill, perhaps on the small screen, but I think in the big screen, I think it must have been Tomorrow Never Dies, but that's as far as I can yeah. remember. I think the thing is, it depends when. I mean, when I saw The Man with the Golden Gun, as I said in the intro episode, it was like around Christmas time. So it was a special big release. Oh, Right? Whereas they did start showing seasons of them, didn't they? Where like Uh every Tuesday or whatever, there'd be a Bond film. Well, if you got introduced to Bond during one of those seasons and you saw, say, three weeks in a row of Bond films, I can understand how you might not remember which was the first. No. But mine was The Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, that'd be nice. It has special memories for you. Yeah, it does. And I have to say, I loved it at the time so it'll be interesting to to revisit it because it's not a very well thought of film no i remember going to see it with the um majesty secret service double bill and to have a film that ended so soberly as that and have something that's quite fun and quite frothy as golden gun i think was kind of a good mix but well, an even mix but okay well no <laughs> doesn't it make more sense i mean i know with the double bill you're on about and we didn't get it down here no, I think it was a last-minute edition because I think obviously Christopher Lee had sadly passed away at the time. So. Oh yeah, yeah. But the obvious thing to me is, if you were going to double bill, um, a Majesties with anything, it well, probably wouldn't be gone. Gun. There'd be two choices. <laughs> One would be Casino Royale. Sure. But that was already double bill with Skyfall, so I can't. I can understand how it wasn't that. No. But its natural sequel is for your eyes only. For sure, definitely. Yeah, I can agree with that one. But I think it, yeah, it was just the what had happened at the time. The Christopher Lee bit. Yeah, mystery mystery film, and it was like, oh, Christopher Lee passed away. Oh dear, yeah. quick. I'd have gone if it had been here. Sure. Well, on that note, should we wrap up? <laughs> yes, let's wrap up. <laughs> Definitely. It's been a very, very positive start, though, to a James Bond that's that's never been my favourite. I've enjoyed tonight. Well, that's good. On a positive note. Um, so, yeah, thanks very much for listening along, everybody. Um, Chris and Dave, where can we find you on the interwebs? Somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, you want Pacific? Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm on Twitter at Cinematronics, uh, where my website, where you can find this podcast and my other podcast. It is kind of being neglected at the moment, but it will be back uh, with a vengeance. Um, is at Cinematronics.co.uk. See, we're not jealous about you having another podcast, but at the same time, you neglecting it means this one's more important, which makes us feel great. So that's <laughs> <Yay. okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Besides, I'm not ego. 
Yeah, you can find me at facebook.com forward slash the pasty kid or at the pasty kid 1976 on Twitter. Um, I'm at RV Movies. I'm going to change it someday. I don't know. Um, but you can find us. It expects us to talk at gmail.com. Send us an email, please. Again, we have no emails. Please drop us a line. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. What, what, Sounds desperate uh, every single week. What, um, what, what, what Twitter would you change yours to? I don't know. I had the discussion last time, but I haven't done it yet. <laughs> well, what, anyway. what, what would you say, uh, Dave? What, what do you reckon you should change Becca's Twitter handle to? <laughs> I think it should be an ever-shifting one with the identity of this series. Yeah, oh. So it'd be Bond Girl at the moment, and that's nothing to do with me. But, like, she can't be Marion Ravenwood because we always found, we, we already follow a Marion Ravenwood. On, we do. Uh, but then it would have to be, yeah, we, we'd do something like that. <laughs> Change it all the time. When we get to Star Trek and so on. Cool. In the meantime, you can find us at Expected to Talk or Facebook slash Expected to Talk. And we will return with The Man with a Golden Gun. Good night. Man with the Golden Gun. <laughs> <laughs> Willy bang, we shall see. <laughs> he has a powerful weapon. Yeah, he needs his cock. <laughs> yeah, he charges a million a shot. It's very expensive, don't you know? <laughs> I know, I mean, I can knock one off the wrist for a fiver if you're interested. That's not the kind of shot that they're on about. Oh, sorry. I thought it was meant to be all cheeky in that. On that note, I'm going to sign off. Good Bye. night, everyone. <laughs>